Blog Talk Radio. And then they say, hey, man, it's pretty good. I'm going to go back and pick up some other shows. And so then I see all this blossoming of other shows coming up. So what do we have tonight? Well, let's see. I tell you, um, as usual, it wasn't easy making the selections. But uh, let's uh, sort of give a, just a highlight. We've got the fourth turning. I'm going to try to get to that. It was a fascinating thing. You know, people are always dredging up things that you have not seen before. We try to get them on this show so you can take a look at it. We're going to be looking at, however, some biblical prophecy, Russia, Iran, Turkey, and um, well, several others. Uh, this is getting fascinating. You know, the tensions mounting. The Saudis are escalating their power struggle with Iran. Jets are scrambling. The Israeli army is on high alert. We're looking at the unlikely and sudden alignment of the nations that are in biblical prophecy. We're looking at the last seven plagues. Now, this is on the X-Files side of the show, okay? Uh, but uh, then, you know, this, this massive black death thing that hardly anybody knows about here in the U.S., man, they're talking this is bad. And they're saying this could reach out to hit the U.S., Europe, Britain. Folks, I mean, this thing kills in three hours. It's plague-resilient to antibiotic. I mean, this is kind of... Remember how uh, people were talking, well, oh, boy, Ebola is just, uh, you know, it's just bullshit. People are just, you know, being scare tactics and everything. No. Remember, it made it here to the U.S. It made it here. I had a question about, uh, what was it? Is the media evil? I'm going to explain that. Um, gotten a lot of questions. Barry, where have you been? Why aren't you posting a lot? You know what? I have been so busy that... Uh, Trump's got the reins right now, folks. I mean, you know, we're willing away at them. I'm enjoying it. I'm sitting it back. This is kind of, I'm kind of enjoying this year, okay, as much as one can. Because you know it's not like we thought it would be when Trump won, is it? They, they'll make you miserable any way that they can. We've got the Hindenburg Oath meeting the Omen, meeting the Titanic Syndrome. We're going to talk about uh, hijab Barbie. Oh, yeah. Sessions needs to go, folks. Biblical alignment, the ban and rethinks more. <laughs> That's a big one. Worldwide Black Day plague, the seven last plagues, and Armageddon. It. I was trying to get that song on here. I don't think I, I didn't have a chance. And, you know, uh, we're going to talk. I was looking at the Wall Street Journal this morning. Sorry, I'm, so, I'm jumping out of my skin. I'm so excited. 
But um, and they were talking about how the Trump trip was a failure. This is exactly what pisses me off the Wall Street Journal does uh, on a regular basis. But, hey, they're better than anybody else. So, anyway, except things like that. But, uh, let's see now. Where are we in here? We're going we're to stop running like hell, I guess, aren't we? Yeah, let's stop running like hell. And, uh, yeah, let's run this one. I like this. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. There's a need for a new world order, but it has different characteristics in different parts of, of the world. If you've got a business, that you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. Finland, of all countries, is kicking off the new year by launching a new social experiment. Some 2,000 unemployed citizens chosen at random will get a guaranteed monthly income whether they work or not. A lot of economists actually think this could be a good idea, saying it will cut down on government rep red tape and welfare fraud while helping to combat poverty. Secretary Clinton, in a speech you gave to a Brazilian bank for which you were paid $225,000, we've learned from the WikiLeaks that you said this, and I want to quote, my dream is a hemispheric common market with open trade and open borders. We haven't had a very collective notion of these are our children, so part of it is we have to break through our kind of private idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to their families and recognize that kids belong to whole communities. And the hope that each of us has to build a new world order. The pieces are in flux. Soon they will settle again. Before they do, let us reorder this world around us. We've got to give them a stake in creating the kind of uh, a world order that I think all of us would like to see. Leaders come together and establish a framework for global governance. These measures are enacted and we continue to move forward with the G20 process. We will have the kind of global governance that is necessary to ensure the stability and transparency of markets. I think a new world order is emerging, and with it the foundations of a new and progressive era of international cooperation. The affirmative task we have now is to actually um, create uh, uh, a new world order. Yes, indeed. And everything we're going to be discussing here tonight, especially the globalism side of all of this, it is all connected to the new world order and trying to get the hell out of it. That's right. So, uh, so many stories for me to go through, and uh, as I as I've told you in past shows, I have you know eight years uh, of writing essays on Saturday and Sunday, and uh, I'm kind of enjoying you know building decks and and uh, doing things around the office that really need uh, doing. Lots of projects going on all over the place. Kind of a bit of a backlog, okay. And then you know this year. Um, after the election, as I always do, uh, focus back on, you know, business stuff, fam, you know, all that stuff, um, the, just trying to catch a breather because it's been a very tough eight years, okay, as you all know, any anybody that's listening to this show knows that, but I did want to first focus on Trump's Asia trip because 
you heard now it's been so funny to hear the cacophony coming out of the left i mean uh remember how when obama last visited china they wouldn't even wheel the plane gantry up to his exit uh, you know so he had to exit out of the belly of the plate and there was you know just a few people there they were waiting um, nobody of any significance, and this is because he, and therefore, by default, the United States was not respected. You can go back and look at not long after Trump, I'm sorry, Obama was elected. Yeah, it's hard to you know, bounce between the two sometimes because I'm so used to saying Obama. Um, but you remember when Obama went over, uh, he was at some G20 or something like that meeting, and there was a group of Russians, and I believe this was it, probably Medvedev was in power. However, that was, he was just a puppet for, uh, you know, uh, Putin. But uh, all the guys were standing there, all these Russian oligarchs, uh, leaders of the government. Uh, Obama went over there, went went through the line, and none of them would shake his hand. And, you know, he kept, he kept running into this issue everywhere he went. I've got the group of Egyptians laughing at – I wish I could go find that – laughing at his policy um, uh, over the Mideast. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to see if I can find that right quick. You know, I stop the show sometimes so I can – while I'm talking and look things up. And uh, here, I want you to hear this now, okay? This is <laughs> – this is what – now, this was in, like, um, 2015, Okay. Uh, they're asking, what in the hell is wrong with this guy? He's such an idiot about, uh, you know, about everything that's going on in the world. Well, they thought he was an idiot. What they, what they didn't understand was he was doing what he always does, which is basically uh, it's the anti-Midas touch. Everywhere he turns and points, things just fall apart. You know what I'm saying? The U.S. economy. Look, you know, the, the thing that's being left out of the conversation about the economy, I mean, our economy is roaring right now. I mean, absolutely roaring right now. And, I mean, the stock market was down today, okay, for whatever reason. But, uh, you know, it, uh, I mean, a rabbit can run through the yard and have a branch fall on its head somewhere in, uh, you know, Poxitani, Wisconsin, and the stock market will go down, okay? I mean, it's just, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even know sometimes. I don't even know if they know. I think they're more reactionary than than than, than many Americans are. But anyway, um, let me <laughs> just a you know, just about you know success and Obama's apology tour and uh, you know what China did all throughout. Uh, what I mean, Russia invades Ukraine after Obama goes in there back in 2000 and what was it six when he was a U.S. senator a community activist. How in the hell does a community activist get to be president? But anyway, I mean, like he was qualified to be president, a rabble-rouser who walks around the streets trying to get people to get pissed off, balkanization of... I mean, that's, you know, my my mind sometimes about explodes when I stop to think about everything. So anyway, here is what, in 2015 now, this was not long before Obama left his office, okay? Listen to the Egyptians laughing their rumps off. At Obama. Now, this is Egypt, for heaven's sake. Listen.
Climate change will impact every country on the planet. No nation is immune. So I'm here today to say that climate change constitutes a serious threat to global security, an immediate risk to our national security. And make no mistake, it will impact how our military defends our country. Well, ايه ده بنت حمد بن جاسم يا فندم انا ما اعرفش حضرتك يا فندم اللي تعرف انا ما عنديش فكره وايه اللي حصل لنجده حمد بن جاسم هو شاه ايران فين يا احمد بيه فين شاه ايران اين مش امريكا اللي بعته وهتبيعك يا تميم ناخد اللقطه دي ونركنها مصر ستنتصر باذن الله ولن تكون لقمه سائغه وقطر بنت الوسخ طب خلاص ايه لا 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 ملوش حل لا انا اسف برضه تاني انا طول النهارده جاي عشان اقول اسف المشاهدين على نبيل شرف الدين مش ممكن فظيع خلاص انا اقول خلاص خلاص عشان عايز اختم عايز اختم التحرير وفي كل حته تلاقيه وقت متصور معاهم كلهم وراح ليبيا وتصور في ليبيا ده يهودي ايه اللي جايبه في الموضوع؟ مش ناخد يهودي ناخد بس يهودي اه ايوه ناخد اللقطه دي ونركنها نبص بقى لامير داعش اللي هو امام المسلمين الجدد او المتمسلمين او اللي جايبين ملايه كاتبين عليها احنا مسلمين ولافين نفسهم اليهوديين قتل هو شاه ايران فين يا احمد بيه؟ فين شاه ايران؟ اين؟ مش امريكا اللي بعته؟ وهتبيعك يا تميم كل وكل بيت خليفه هيتباعوا your enemies no longer fear you and your allies no longer trust you they're talking about how insane he is I mean this is so funny listen some more get rid of the ISIS loving president and start defending America they were talking about uh, Michelle making all the decisions Okay, this is how, really, folks, this is how the world really saw him. They were asking, what in the hell is wrong with this guy? And, okay, you're, they were absolutely right. We were continually trying to point this out all during his administration or his regime or whatever. The most politicized FBI, the most politicized CIA, the most politicized DOJ. Well, speaking of that, we've got a lot to talk about with Sessions. Lots of news there. I mean, some pretty, you know, when you listen, after you've been doing this for so long and analyzing, 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 uh, you, you begin to see certain, when when certain people say certain things, you're like going, whoa, okay. Uh, and that's what happened with McConnell, who was talking with the president, and they started floating the idea of Sessions, okay, taking over Judge Moore's seat. Yes. And, yeah, judge more, okay, now that's, that's, uh, that's hurtful, all right? Yeah, we're all kind of smarting. Well, those of us who are, you know, really conservative are smarting from it. Uh, and I, I heard Rush say the other day that, you know, all of this aside, number one, Judge Moore was a Democrat when he did all this stuff, okay? So that makes it, you know, that makes it different. I mean, that's what Democrats do, right? I mean, look at Hollywood. Look at all of the uh, stuff going on there. Look at... Uh, what is it? The pizza place, right? That pizza place up in D.C.? Yeah, there was something there. Oh, yeah. What do they call it? Uh, satanic cooking or something like that? Ritual cooking using blood? Uh, that was in Podesta's e e emails, right? 
Uh, you know, the sacrifices of children, that's to the god Moloch. The Democrats are really big on worshiping Moloch, apparently. I mean, um, and then, of course, Mammon is in there as, uh, as well. Uh, and, and, you know, that's the thing about the abortion. Nobody can quite, well, why aren't they doing it? Why don't they, why don't they talk about kids getting shot who are like two or three and they're so shocked? And yet, you, you know, when it's in the womb, it's cool. It's okay. Just kill them, kill them, kill them, kill them. So, you know, that, that's the thing about the sacrifices. Um, and, I mean, the Democrats are nothing if not a devil-worshipping sect at this point. They don't believe in Jesus Christ, and they don't believe in the Old and New Testaments for the most part. And the ones that do have some bit of a religion within them are what we would call progressive Christians, okay? And they're not – they most of them don't really believe how we believe. Uh, and most of you out there, most of you listening, you know you're a Christian, Okay. So we can talk about this. I know it's taboo to talk like this, but I don't give a crap. Uh, I just say what I think. And so people find that refreshing, you know, because I'm not tied down by sponsors or any of those things. That's why we're, we continue to remain top three shows, generally speaking, blog talk, radio, conservative politics, top three folks, uh, trying to break into the, you know, we're we're like on the top 25, I think, of political shows in blog talk, but... Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't. That's a tough nut to crack to get them like number one up there. Trying to figure that one out. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, we're we're still we remain at the very top. And uh, the ten eighteen show was very popular. For, you know, I, I think we were dealing with uh, Vegas a lot in that particular show because there's some serious problems in Vegas. But anyway, so uh, I want I wanted to bring your attention. So like in the Wall Street Journal this morning, Trump's trip was you know just sort of a disaster basically. That's why the Wall Street Journal is reporting it. And then you bounce over to the Associated Press, and they're saying Trump's Asian trip was tremendously successful, right? Tremendously successful, quote-unquote. This is the AP, folks. So who was right? Well, just look at what happened. Trump brought home over a quarter of a trillion dollars in uh, new business deals. He's got Foxconn building this massive, massive plant here in the U.S., and all of these companies are starting to stay here. And, you know, meanwhile, the, 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 the rhinos and the conservatives in the Senate are quibbling over, um, you know, what kind of tax plan. And they threw in the mandate repeal. Can you believe that? The Obamacare mandate repeal? And then, of course, a rhino, uh, one of the uh, signatory rhinos chimes in. This time it was Ron Johnson. You know, it's, it's just the, the what do we call them? The... Uh, the usual suspects, well, this time it was Ron Johnson, the senator from somewhere up there in the Midwest, I think. Um, uh, he is a real piece of work. He's, um, he's, he's like a, uh, what we call him, a McCain apprentice. He's a McCain Padawan, okay? He's getting there very slowly. Uh, remember, McCain was the one who introduced the Trump dossier to the intelligence bureaus, and that's where all of this stuff is headed. Um, sessions, I've got a lot to talk about there. So, and I'm going to try to hit all these things. We've got an interesting second half of the show with the uh, the S-Files portion of the show. We're going to get to some things that, you know, you really need to know. And what we see might be taking shape, not sure, going back to the September 23rd alignment. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Still in the back of my mind. Still watching all of these disasters occurring. Uh, Kim was telling me there are earthquakes occurring everywhere. We had one in Iran. I was wondering if that might be a harp one. Uh, who knows? And then we had a, another uh, in the, uh, I think it was in Costa Rica, and then another over towards Japan. And these were all pretty good-sized earthquakes. And then we had a swarm down there at the, 
down there in Southern California, and then we still have the yellow, the Yellowstone ones. You know, the uh, the Yellowstone National Park, the home of the vast caldera, of which there are about five that we know of across the planet. One of them, by the way, is in North Korea. Uh, one of them is in Italy. Mm, isn't that interesting? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, lots of things there. Um, but anyway, this trip, this is what I found. I may just have to go find the uh, the file. I've got a lot, what, a good many clips tonight to run past you, uh, especially with Sessions and um, uh, Jim Jordan. And then I've got another one with Trey Gowdy. So, you know, you got to hear those. I mean, you just have to stop <laughs> because you got – Two hardcore conservatives popping on sessions. Who used to be a hardcore conservative? I don't know what the hell this guy is now. Um, it was funny because I'll, I'll I'll show you how he he basically opened up the door to uh, to uh, investigating the possibility of investigating the um, the uranium one deal and maybe perhaps some missing emails and things like that. And then when uh, Jim Jordan questioned him on it, in, in sessions, this is what we're going to go over that, the the, uh, the committee meeting that he had yesterday. And, you know, now, used to uh, I used to be his greatest fan, especially, well, really, far, long before he started supporting Trump. But what, what we've come to understand is Jeff Sessions is just not cut out to be AG, folks. And I'm, I'm thinking still, now, I don't know about you, but I find it – somewhat suspicious that he he was on uh, one track uh, you know and it was basically our track a the tea party conservative uh, pro trump supporters uh, who do not like globalism we do not like the swamp we do not like the rampant corruption uh, that has blossomed both during the bush and obama years yeah i'm throwing bush in there those boo i could talk about them forever but anyway uh, that's done and gone, isn't it? No, remember, he did come out after he swore swore off criticizing Obama for eight years, suddenly comes out and goes against his own president, Trump, of his own party. Yeah, well, it's probably, is it because he defeated Bush? No, it's not that. Was it because that uh, uh, George W. Bush and George H. W. Bush are moderate Republicans? Mm, sort of, but no. Is it because of Trump is anti-establishment? Sort of, yeah, but still, no, not exactly. So what is it? What is? Why doesn't Bush like Trump? Well, it's really simple, because Trump is not of the New World Order. He is an anti-globalist, and he doesn't give a damn about this New World Order that they want to be such a part of. They want to trade away you and me and our prosperity and spread it across the earth like you know um really poor peanut butter i guess uh so you know these guys are uh and and bush you know you go back and you start going from uh 9-11 forward problem after problem after problem surfaces and that's where the the real true problems began in the latter part of the 2000s after 9-11 uh about oh five oh six, where he was trying to, uh, you know, that that was when he was doing the deal. Uh, they called it the uh, SPP, the Strategic Partnership Program for Pinheads, or something like that. But uh, yeah, he was trying to smush 
Mexico, United States, and Canada together into one cohesive unit, yes, which is one of the main reasons they wanted Obamacare, by the way. Uh, You know, it's going to be hard to fit the U.S. into the New World Order if we don't have the requisite sort of health care that allows them to butt into every facet of our lives, correct? Yeah, that makes it kind of hard. So, anyway, so in this AP article, listen to this, wrapping up his extensive tour of Asia. I can't believe this came from the AP, folks. President Donald Trump on Tuesday held tremendous amounts of work on trade and said nations around the globe have been put on notice that the U.S. will demand improved trading conditions. Hallelujah. Trump, they didn't say that. Trump told reporters in Manila that the fruits of our labor are going to be incredible. He was closing a nearly two-week trip through Japan, <clears throat> South Korea, China, Vietnam, and the Philippines. That included one-on-one meetings with the leaders of those nations during which he stressed trade. The president who campaigned on shredding multilateral trade agreements, which basically trade our sovereignty to some foreign European tribunal or some, you know, our Mexican uh, I don't know, Mexican bandito tribunals. Anyway, he has deemed unfair, insisted during his travels that multi-billion dollar deficits that favor U.S. trading partners will be reduced to zero, and the trade overall must be fair and mutually beneficial. What, ladies and gentlemen, is wrong with that? Anyway, the United States has to be treated fairly and in a reciprocal fashion. How dare you say the moderates? Those are the globalists who are making tons of freaking money uh, off of all, of all of these Chinese imports. Okay, yeah, oh yeah, they're like brokers in that, and they love it. Oh yes, they love it. But anyway, so Trump tweeted before heading back to Washington, where he is scheduled to arrive later Tuesday. The massive trade deficits must go down and quickly, and uh, we're starting maybe to see a little bit of that. I believe um, uh, it's going to start kicking in. Trump told reporters before. He, what I was going to tell you was this: you got the economy roaring right now. And, you know, Obama managed to keep the stock market fairly afloat during his time. But you know what the difference is between Trump and Obama as far as the economy goes? And and here's the – I'm sure you already know, but there is something significant within all of this that nobody is talking about. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, how Obama basically bribed the stock market into keeping afloat and doing very well – or not very well, but moderately well – uh, he was using quantitative easing to the tune of anywhere from 65 to $85 billion per month of just printed up money out of nothing, okay? That's what he did, to the tune of about 3 or $4 trillion um, over time, over multiple years. Quantitative QE1, QE2, QE3, it's like the Queen Elizabeth, but it was QE, it was quantitative easing, and that's how he kept it afloat, and that's how he kept the percentages to what they were, okay? And uh, the interesting thing, right, is the fact that Trump is not having to do that. So we're seeing, uh, you know, I heard somewhere where 1% increase in the economy, like, you know, growth, is equal to about $1 trillion, ladies and gentlemen. $1 trillion for one percentage point. And Trump is hitting 3% pretty much every single quarter after the first one, which was, we can, you know, Scotch that up to Obama for the first quarter. But all of a sudden, things started roaring to life because socialism does not work. And Obama was a socialist president, if ever there were one. Um, So anyway, 
No quantitative easing from Trump, and despite that, he's getting the double and or triple the growth, ladies and gentlemen. And remember, quantitative easing is why it set up an imbalance on our balance sheets that they somehow have to try to figure out how to fix, which is why you're, they're talking about, you know, selling off these U.S. treasuries, right? Remember how they were talking about, yeah, we've got to buy those back? That's what they're talking about. That's where that primarily came from, okay? So I just wanted to... It just kind of set that in your mind when you hear anybody talking about the economy and how, well, you know, this could be Obama. That's bullshit. I mean, look at the numbers. I've heard that argument. Oh, well, you know, this is Obama's. Oh, that's such bullshit, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry for my language, but my gosh, when does it end? So anyway, let me move on. The campaign... Uh, who talk, uh, the president who campaigned on shredding multilateral trade agreements, he is deemed unfair, insisted during his travels that multi-billion dollar deficits favor U.S. trading partners will be reduced to zero, and that trade overall must be fair and mutually beneficial. Those things are key. He says they must go, these trade deficits. Trump told reporters, and what do we have to lose, folks? What do we have to lose? If we are operating in a, at a deficit, we are the number one, still, the number one's world market economy. Okay, so for those who say, oh, we're going to lose trade, no, we're not going to lose trade, okay? It's almost as if we're the only big game in town still. We're still bigger than China by double, okay? Russia's like a pinprick, like, you know, not even close. I mean, we're running almost a $20 trillion economy right now, and Russia is at like $2.5 trillion. They're just barely a, a blister on a bulldog's ass compared to us. I'm sorry. So anyway... Uh, you know, that's why the thing about Russia, when you look at military might versus economic might, mm, not so good. And, you know, anyway, so uh, back to the AP story. There, I may jump over the Wall Street Journal story to just show you how different it is. This, this is what surprises me. And I've told the Wall Street Journal they listen, but not well, apparently. Uh, anyway. Trump told reporters that we have had a tremendously successful trip. Tremendous amounts of work was done on trade. The president spoke along the sidelines of the annual East Asia Summit of Leaders from throughout the Asia-Pacific region, his final summit after attending a gathering of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations on Monday. Trump said he planned to make a major statement about his trip from the White House later this week and spoke of the many good friends he made during the trip. Among his newest friends is President Rodrigo Duterte of the Philippines, and um, you know, do dirty is do do dirty. Do dirty has overseen a bloody crackdown on domestic drug dealing. Uh, and Trump did not publicly take do dirty to test for the crackdown. That's because he's on a diplomatic trip, not one in which we are going to start. And look, I mean, the Philippines are key in certain areas. One of which is China. We're competing uh, between China and us. And this is what kills me too. Have you ever noticed how before? They were worried about us. And I even heard a story the other day. Well, I don't know. Trump is insane. Trump is nowhere even close to the fragmented, chaotically minded Obama, who was nothing but a puzzle. Half the time, I don't think he knew, he knew what the hell he was doing. And the other half, uh, he did. And that's the problem. Okay. Uh, but to ask, look at look at how it's going. Before everybody was wondering, I can't believe he has the nuclear button. He's gonna he's gonna tick off all our trading partners. We're not gonna have any allies. They're all going to hate us. I mean, it was just incredible how they were so worried about Trump. So what does Trump do? How he's gonna start wars with everybody, right? Remember that? Oh, he can't get along with anybody, right? 
now, after the Asian trip, it, it, look at how it's changed. Well, he seems to be in cahoots with them. He's not. Hey, he's not. Uh, he's not uh, criticizing them enough. Hey, he he seems to be. He's he's like a Chinese agent. He, he's getting along too well with the Russian, the Chinese leader. Oh, look, he's talking to Putin. That's not good. He's 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 uh, he's part of the what do they call that? Yeah, the, he's colluding with uh, with Russia, folks. If you want to see the collusion? Look at the Obama Medvedev conversation. Tell tell Vladimir I'll have much more flexibility after my election. Okay, you don't think that? I mean, and look at how Obama paved the way when he went into Ukraine and basically paid them to dearm and blow, you know, melt down all their weapons. Right? He did that, folks. Look it up. Melt down all your weapons. Right. Uh, and we're going to buy all of the, you know, we're going to give you $150 million that you so terribly need. And in exchange, uh, we're going to take care of you if you get attacked. Well, you see what happened. That's exactly what happened. Russia invades not, what, uh, four or five years later after Obama. Yes, it was Obama who de-armed um, the Ukraine. And not long after, here comes Putin marching right in there. He takes over Crimea. And it was all because he had de-armed Ukraine. They couldn't put up the fight that they could before. Oh, they were a problem area, said everybody. We've got to de-arm Ukraine. So they, so they de-arm Ukraine. And five, six years later, here comes Putin, you know, the tanks and everything coming in, taking over Crimea and the Ukraine, and tries to take over half of you. And there's still a war going on there. Okay, because they couldn't defend themselves the way they could before, folks. And you can look this up. Obama uh, spearheaded the effort to de-arm Ukraine and came up with the agreement. I forget what we call it. It was an agreement between the Great Britain, the United States, uh, the Ukraine, to they would defend Ukraine in the event of attack if they melted down and, you know, sort of got rid of all their weapons. So Obama was – and then all of a sudden, you know, then he talks about flexibility with – you know, Putin and all of this crap. And then all of a sudden, Putin marches into the Ukraine. And, and Obama's acting dumb. He's acting like, oh, my goodness, how did that happen? Well, you de-armed them, you idiot. Don't you know how this stuff works? I mean, come on. So, um, uh, let's see. Despite all of that, they later issued a joint statement saying they underscored that human rights, back to this story, and the dignity of human life are essential. Uh, they, they, they're, they're going off on a tangent on Duterte, Duterte, or whatever you pronounce his name. And then also it talks about uh, meeting with uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi of India and a there and the two nations deeper and more comprehensive ties look looking to strengthen a relationship, okay, uh that is vital to the US version of Indo Pacific region that attempts to de emphasize China's influence. He also met with Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, uh with whom he had a contentious phone call last winter. And Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, who hosted the president in Tokyo earlier in the Trump, Trump raved about his accomplishment on his five-nation journey, particularly on trade in North Korea. Oh, I'm sure he would have said, oh, what a horrible trip. I've got nothing done. I mean, that's what all presidents do, right? I mean, come on. Um, Trump said he would wait until he was back in D.C. to elaborate with a major statement on those two topics, uh, but hinted at progress while in Manila. So I don't know. We'll see. 
But he said, uh, Trump again said that uh, the trip had been very fruitful to the U.S. and pointed the warm welcomes. They're leaving a lot of stuff out here. He said it was a red carpet like nobody, I think, probably has ever received. Well, that's true. We can go back and look. He got into the Forbidden City, folks. I mean, they treated him like the Chinese people love him. I mean, it's crazy, but they do. Uh, because he's Trump, and they love his individuality. They respect his business acumen, his success. I mean, that's what they look at over there, okay? Uh, I mean, it's really kind of weird. We, we've almost gone inverse, haven't we? We're, we're, it's like we're living with a bunch of chai here in the United States, right? And, you know, I mean, look at it. And, and they admire him over in China, over in communist China, because of his business acumen and all of the success that he has accrued over the many years as a businessman. You know, the TV program, all of these different things. And um, uh, over here, well, you know, these people don't know or understand these idiots on the left here in the U.S., and they're all now hardcore extreme leftists, and, and they're they're idiots, folks. They're insane. They, they are insane, okay? They just are, and that's why I'm not so worried about, like, 2018. I mean, I, I, I worry more about the Republican Party than I do anything as far as uh, us losing, because you see all of the things that they have embraced have been rejected by the American people. Okay, so uh, that was his trip, and then the Wall Street Journal, uh, of course, said that it was a horrible trip, and, you know, it's kind of like that. So, uh, meanwhile, by the way, uh, you know, Trump uh, did save three UCLA basketball players who were detained in China. That story was up yesterday, but these three, and they thanked him today, uh, they they were detained in China on suspicion of shoplifting, and um, had to, let me get them, oh, shut up, I hate these things, uh, detained in China on suspicion of shoplifting, and had been allowed to return home where they may be disciplined by the school, Maybe. You never know about these things. Will the school discipline them? Will they pat them on the back and say, good little thief, you did well? Uh, they were disciplined by the school, uh, or they will be, as a result of the international scandal, which Trump pulled them out of the fire by virtue. These are uh, three black guys, okay? So, how? oh, wow, how could a racist president release these three black guys? Man, that's wild. Uh, gee, I wonder, is, a, is Trump going to lynch them when he gets them back? Who knows? Maybe Trump wants to, because, you know, Trump is a racist, right? Their names are Leangelo Ball, Jalen Hill, and Cody Riley. They were on a plane back to Los Angeles that was due to land late Tuesday afternoon after a 12-hour flight from Shanghai. They got Shanghai and Shanghai. <laughs> anyway, so PAC-12 Commissioner Larry Scott said the matter had been resolved to the satisfaction of the Chinese authorities. The players were detained in Hangzai for questioning fellow uh, questioning. This was following allegations of shoplifting last week uh, before the 23rd-ranked Bruins Georgia Tech, Bruins beat Georgia Tech in their season-opening game in Shanghai as part of the Pac-12 China game. Uh, a person with knowledge of the Pac-12's decision said any discipline involved in the trip would be up to UCLA. Uh, the person spoke to the, you know, that's the University of Charlotte at uh, Elizabeth Avenue, UCLA. Anyway, the person spoke to the Associated Press on condition of anonymity. I got it right. Because the conference doesn't play any sanctions or plan any sanctions. Okay. So UCLA Chancellor Chin Block said the school is weighing its options. Uh, 
I want to be clear that we take seriously any violations of the law, he said, unless it's an attack on a conservative. That we can put up with. No big deal. He said in a statement, in this particular case, both athletic and the offices of student conduct will review this incident and guide any action with respect to the involved students. Such proceedings are confidential, which limits the information that can be shared. Oh, I'm sure. There was no immediate word on the trio's status for the team's home opener. Scott thanked President Donald Trump, the White House, and the State Department for their efforts in resolving what he called the incident with authorities in Hangzhou, China. He indicated that UCLA made significant efforts on behalf of his athletes, its thieving, shoplifting athletes. It wasn't clear under what terms the players were free to return to the U.S. Uh, so uh, let me read through here just a little bit more, blah, 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 blah. Let me see if I can find an apology, okay, um, UCLA players. Sorry about that. But I want to see, because I heard they said something. Uh, thank Trump, YouTube. Let's see if we got anything on this. Surely it will pop up. Yeah, here it is. A 59, okay, uh, yeah, we're going to play this. Um, and let me see a, a good size report here. Let's see here, 49 seconds, 39, 48, 748, 719. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Trump to UCL players, you better thank my ass. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's play this one, and then we'll play their apology, their their thank or whatever it is. They, yeah, listen, listen up. This would be good.
I'd like to start off by saying sorry for stealing from the stores in China. Uh, I didn't exercise my best judgment, and I was wrong for that. I apologize to my family, my coaches, my teammates, and UCLA for letting so many people down. I also apologize to the people of China for causing them so much trouble. I'm a young man, however, it's not an excuse for making a really stupid decision. I don't feel sorry for myself, and I've learned my lessons from this big mistake, and I'm 110% sure that I'll not make a bad decision like this one again. I also like everyone to know that this does not define who I am. My family raised me better than that, and I'm going to make myself a better person from here on out. I have the utmost respect for the Chinese police department as well, and I'd like to thank them for treating me so respectfully, even after I made a stupid decision. Uh, I'd like to thank Chris Carlson and Doug Erickson for staying with us and just helping us out while we were in China <clears throat> and taking care of us. I'm grateful for this UCLA team that stood strong beside us and made it possible for me to be sitting here in front of you all today. I respect and admire all the hard work that they put in to get us back to the United States. I'd also like to thank President Trump and the United States government for the help that they provided as well. I'm grateful to be back home. And I'll never make a mistake like this again. Did you know I'm extremely sorry for those who I let down. The first agent they called but I'm also so very thankful for all the help, love, and support that they provided. And I take full responsibility for my actions. And I'm sorry. Thank you. Showed very well our country is further evidence that America's renewed confidence and standing in the world has never been stronger than it is right now. When we are confident in ourselves, our strength, our flag, our history, our values, other nations are confident in us. And when we treat our citizens with the respect they deserve, other countries treat America with the respect that our country so richly deserves. During our travels, this is exactly what the world saw, a strong, proud, and confident America. Today I want to update the American people on the tremendous success of this trip and the progress we've made to advance American security and prosperity throughout the year. When I came into office, our country was faced with a series of growing dangers. These threats included rogue regimes pursuing deadly weapons, foreign powers challenging America's influence, the spread of the murderous terror group ISIS and years of unfair trade practices that had dangerously depleted our manufacturing base and wiped out millions and millions of middle-class jobs. The challenges were inherited, and these products really showed what previous mistakes were made over many years and even decades by other administrations. Some of these mistakes were born of indifference and neglect, others from naive thinking and misguided judgment. In some cases, the negative influence of partisan politics and special interests was to blame. But the one common thread behind all of these problems 
was a failure to protect and promote the interests of the American people and American workers. Upon my inauguration, I pledged that we would rebuild America, restore its economic strength, and defend its national security. With this goal in mind, I vowed that we would reaffirm old alliances and form new friendships in pursuit of shared goals. Above all, I swore that in every decision, with every action, I would put the best interests of the American people first. Over the past 10 months, traveling across the globe and meeting with world leaders, that is exactly what I have done. Earlier this year in Saudi Arabia, I spoke to the leaders of more than 50 Arab and Muslim nations about our strategy to defeat terrorists by stripping them of financing, territory, and ideological support. And I urge the leaders to drive out the terrorists and extremists from their societies. Since that time, we have dealt ISIS one crushing defeat after another. In Israel, I reaffirmed the unbreakable bond between America and the Jewish state, and I met with leaders of the Palestinian Authority and initiated an effort to facilitate lasting peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. In Brussels, I urged our NATO allies to do more to strengthen our crucial alliance and set the stage for significant increases in member contributions. Billions and billions of dollars are pouring in because of that initiative. NATO, believe me, is very happy with Donald Trump and what I did. In Warsaw, I declared to the world America's resolve to preserve and protect Western civilization and the values we hold so dear. In Rome, Sicily, Hamburg, and Paris, I strengthened our friendships with key allies to promote our shared interests of security and prosperity. In September, at the United Nations General Assembly in New York, I urged that the nations of the world join in confronting rogue regimes that threaten humanity and laid out a model for international cooperation grounded in respect for sovereignty and the responsibilities that come with it. On each trip, I have worked to advance American interests and leadership in the world. And to each of these places, I have carried our vision for a better, a vision for something stronger and sovereign, so important, sovereign and independent nations rooted in their histories, confident in their destinies, and cooperating together to advance their security, prosperity, and the noble cause of peace. It was this same vision that I carried to Asia two weeks ago, and it was this same commitment to you, the American people, that was always at the forefront of my mind and my thinking. Our trip was defined by three core goals. First, to unite the world against the nuclear menace posed by the North Korean regime, a threat that has increased steadily through many administrations and now requires urgent action. Second, to strengthen America's alliances and economic partnerships in a free and open Indo-Pacific made up of thriving independent nations respectful of other countries. Okay, we're not going to listen to that until we got too much to go through, but you can go pick that speech up just about anywhere. 
just Google uh, Trump speech uh, November 15 of 17 and YouTube, and it will come right up for you. So, uh, and we do, we have a lot. So there was your apology from these uh, these players. And um, let me see here. Yeah, there we go. Get back to where I was. Okay, so in the meantime, now, um, since he saved those players, uh, I think they're pissed off because I'm not sure why. Um, really, I'm not exactly sure why the left is ticked off. I don't know. Uh, but I'm sure they are. Uh, you know, it doesn't take much. Um, and to not, you know, in the second half of the show, we're going to go through the September the 23rd thing as it relates to some of the events that we see building. And that is, as I mentioned on last week's show, this Mideast thing is really ramping up. And, you know, we sort of, do, we really don't have anything to do with this right now. I mean, our actions, uh, pro, uh, what's the word there, propitiated, I suppose, what is happening uh, as far as taking Iraq out. And, and as you know, there was the seven Mideast nations that I've gone over so many times that came down from Oden High after 9-11 where we decided to attack Iraq for no good reasons. But then we found out that there was a memo from up high, a globalist memo, okay, saying that we had to take down Syria, Iraq, Sudan, Lebanon, Somalia, Libya, and Iran for, you know, really, in my purview, to cause a refugee influx into Europe, because remember, UNESCO was the one that was coordinating all that. Trump has, took, Trump has taken us out of UNESCO so they would, uh, you know, get them out of control of our, um, of our, what's the word here? Get them out of control of our, 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 our uh, immigrant status, okay? They were controlling refugee influx and immigrants, and they were even trying to teach Various leftist administrations across the planet have to get around the rules regarding immigration, right? So September the 23rd in this particular vein is very operative. And I've not forgotten that technically, if you were wondering, it's that, you know, the alignment, okay, the, uh, the alignment of uh, the birthing of the child, the astronomical alignment alluded to in the Bible that we have gone over in several shows, by quite, actually quite a few shows, uh, so I'm not going to rehash all of that right this moment, but I'm, I am going to hit some of the highlights later on with Lee Daniel of what that might 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 mean. I'm sorry, I'm having difficulty in communication tonight. So poll: Trump jumps 46% approval. Mm-hmm. Um, don't think the politicians, uh, the, the rhinos, and the establishment political class is not watching that. Okay, don't think that they're not. Uh, latest tracking poll shows that over 45% of likely voters approve of Trump's uh, job performance, and uh, that includes the 29% who strongly approve the way the president's performing. That would include me. And the 45% who strongly disapprove, that would include the people who listen to CNN, ABC, NBC, and all of that uh, fictional news programs. Uh, you know, I'm just sorry. That's the way it is. Um, The latest Rasmussen Minute, if you want to go to the story, it's in CR, explores whether Trump's attempt to drain the swamp mark him as a true independent, our first third-party president in over 150 years. starting to look that way, isn't it? If you watch the Republicans, you would swear to it. Following Trump's visit with Chinese President Xi Jinping, voters are more optimistic about U.S.-China relations. Not necessarily me, but hey, that's because I watched the biblical template. So... 
Anyway, the, uh, the hurricane hit U.S. economy, rebounded strongly, with the unemployment now down to 4.1%, which is really probably more like 6 or 7%. But, hey, I mean, we're, we're measuring it. It's far better than anything Obama ever showed us. This is the lowest level since 2000, folks. Whoa, that was before Bush, wasn't it? So, and that's now we're getting back to Reagan level uh, economic uh, dynamicism, basically. Gee, isn't that surprising? And look at all the people fighting against Mr. Trump. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions told Congress yesterday that he's considering naming a special counsel, but then he sort of shut the door on that. I don't know. I'm going to let you hear some of that. Um, Let me see here. Blah, 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 blah. Now, there's really nothing else that I can see here that's interesting. But that was pretty interesting, wasn't it? That's some interesting information. So now then, Obama's Libyan legacy. (laughs) You're going to love this. Remember uh, the, the Odyssey Dawn, folks? Remember what Odyssey Dawn is? That was the invasion, okay, of Libya. Uh, by Obama and Hillary Clinton because NATO and uh, the Europeans couldn't afford cruise missiles to launch at Libya. And, you know, Libya was actually, after the uh, that one major, the, you know, the, the Lockerbie Pan Am flight went down, and it was traced to Libya, and Reagan took action. That was the end of their misadventures for the most part. And, uh, and you know, their, their leader over there... Um, I forget his name right at the moment. What is it? Uh, it's not Hosni Mubarak, is it? But no, 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 no. no. Um, anyway, okay. Well, let's let's go there. I want, I want you to hear this. Libyan legacy. They now have people for sale, folks, by Muslims in India. Eight hundred says the auctioneer. Nine hundred. Listen to this. A man a addressing an unseen crowd. <laughs> Big strong boys for farm work, he said. 400. 700. 700. 700. 700. 700. 700. 700. 700. 700. 700. 700. 700. 700. 700. 700. 700. Another man, claiming to be a buyer. Off camera, someone asked, what happened to the ones from Niger? Sold off, he's told. CNN was sent this footage by contact. After months of working, we were able to verify the authenticity of what you see here. We decided to travel to Libya to try and see for ourselves. Okay, so I'm not going to run this entire story. But what what is happening is they are selling people in Libya, these Muslims, okay, these radical the folks. That's where slavery came from. I mean, seriously, that, it came from the Middle East and and their forays into Af- northern Africa, uh, where they picked up slaves, and then that's where sort of it all began. Did you know that? Uh, so uh, in this case, one of the unidentified men being sold uh, in this video, and this is this report is that. Conservative Focus News, or I'm sorry, Conservative Focus, the radio show, this one. Uh, inside the show, you can follow along if you go there. But he appears to be in his 20s. He's wearing a pale T-shirt and sweatpants. He was offered up for sale as one of a group of big, strong boys for farm work, according to the auctioneer. He remains off camera, only his hand resting proprietarily on the man's shoulder is visible in the brief. Uh, so CNN is working, and they say that they have figured out that this is true. 
Uh, well, this is what the you know this is what they've always done, ladies and gentlemen. These are smugglers, and uh, that's what they do. They're, they're, folks, and this was precipitated by Obama and Hillary. Okay. Think about that for just a minute. Think about that legacy. Think about that transformation of Libya by Sir Barack Obama, okay? So this is tens of thousands of people pouring across Libya's borders. There are refugees fleeing conflict, uh, yeah, caused by you-know-who, uh, or economic migrants in search of better opportunities in Europe. But they are still being herded into Europe, folks. That is no accident. That's the point. That's what Soros wants. It's called multiculturalism. Okay, it's called globalism. That's what we call it. Uh, and they are trying to dilute these cultures and change them. They're, it's like moving a bunch of, uh, what, uh, uh, velociraptors into a herd of cattle and hoping everything works out fine, okay? I mean, it's, you know, it's just the way that it is. I mean, you're putting a bunch of Neanderthals into a bunch of uh, cultured and, and, and people used to living uh, in, in, in unison and in harmony for the most part, and now you're throwing in these, these Neanderthals who aren't going to try to live that way. They're going to live by the rules of the desert, you know? So very Darwinian in its conception, but uh, a recent clampdown by the Libya Coast Guard means fewer boats are making it out to sea, leaving the smugglers with a backlog of would-be passengers on their hands. So they become masters, these smugglers do, and their migrants become refugees who then become slaves. You see? So isn't this fascinating? How, and this is, you know, this is part of the feudal New World Order system. Oh, yeah. Don't doubt me on this. I'm telling you. So uh, there you go. I, I mean, you can read this story much further, okay? People who are being sold for $400. You can buy one now. I mean, if you do and you're in the America, you're going to be locked up for it. Uh, but meanwhile, let's move on. I just wanted to throw that one at you. Thank you, Obama. Good job. Yeah, really good. Thank you. Uh, so, and th this is what they're pissed about, uh, you know, throughout the America. Uh, the NFL players, this is why they're protesting, because they're making 30 times what you and I are making, right? And they are being, uh, they're, they're, they're uh, yeah, I'm telling you, this is why they're protesting. This is why they're not standing up, because of social inequality, right? And they're making, like, you know, anywhere from 3 to, you know, $25 million a year, on average, 30 times more than you and I, and they're being socially mistreated. One of them, what was his name? Um, he plays for Baltimore. I can't remember his name. But he said he felt like an $11 million slave. Slaves don't get paid, you stupid, thuggish idiot. I mean, this is what we are going through, okay? I mean, this is a, the insanity of it all. So now the U.S. Senate Republicans, by the way, unexpectedly attached a repeal of Obamacare uh, the repeal of the mandate to Trump's tax reform. And this was in the Senate. I was going, what in the hell? I read this story yesterday, and I about fell out of my chair. I was like, whoa, wait, man. And now, of course, we have the naysayers. We'll see how this all works out. But I will tell you, if they do not pass this, Republicans are going to be in big trouble. Now, they think, they think that Moore has, per, has, has basically put the conservative movement in trouble. No, 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 no. That's not what's happening. Folks, this is like a fire. I mean, this is uh, uh, a, a new American revolution. It was interesting. I was telling one of my um, ops manager here at the company. I was looking at one of my bank accounts and for the company, and it was a uh, it was 
you know, it, it was one of the one of my accounts, current accounts, where you have to pay out vast sums of money. Well, you know what? The one of the balances in on one of those accounts, but then it's for that very purpose. Seventeen seventy six point seven six, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So that's one of multiple accounts, but that you know, seventeen seventy six point seventy six, and I'm like, well, there's a message there. I'm just not sure what it means. And then you know, then I was and and I was discussing this, and you know, we're very politically active, of course, within this this company that supports conservative focus and and uh, Carolina Industrial. And so, you know, I was I was discussing this with Kim, and and uh, she said, well, you know, what do you think that means? I said, well, I don't know. I said, but if you go to the conservative focus page, it's something I discovered uh, that Roger Stone is regularly, you know, posting comments and things, and it, it's really him. I've checked it out, and it is him on the conservative refocus page. Okay, so you go to not the group, the page, and you go to the page, and you know, Facebook, by the way, has really been screwing around with me. I'm just telling you, uh, bad. Uh, you know, I post one, and then they say, "Okay, you can't post again until November the 21st. You're screwed." Uh, you know, and there are ways, but uh, yeah, but it does. It, it, they're, they're they're I don't know what they're doing, but um, it's effective in that it's like you know, it, it really uh, uh, it screws up what I'm trying to do. And you know, at some point we're like, well, you know, you know, you you put it up, but if you in this day and time, if you can't get it out in the social media, it's just you know, not going to do that well. It'll do okay. So, but I'm not used to doing okay. I'm used to doing fantastically, splendidly. So anyway, in this particular story, yeah, been putting up with that more and more. I don't know what's going on with Facebook. Who knows? But I will tell you that uh, they better rethink their ways because. A vast segment of the population that they are screwing around with and insulting um, are its main customers. You don't screw around with half of your customer base, Facebook, you idiots. Don't you know this? And at some point, somebody's going to knock them off their porch, somebody or something. And I'm looking for it to happen sooner rather than later. It always comes. The worm always turns. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, they're going to try to stay at the top, but they will not. And all of these things that they have done, that which is slowly more and more pissing people off. I wrote the first story on Facebook. Yes, I did. I can I can safely say that I was one of the first major stories that went everywhere of how Facebook was screwing around with conservatives. And this is at the time. Remember, the founder of Facebook, one of them, I think it's Chris Hayes. Now, he was a huge Obama fan, and, and he was the first to take uh, – and this was right not long after Facebook was launched, by the way. To, I think it was 07 or 08. I got on there probably in 09, okay? And, you know, I was one of the guys that helped – I mean, I had 10,000 people following me. And uh, then all of a sudden Facebook deleted me and Twitter deleted me and you know because of my uh, traditional American views, strongly put, right? That's all it is. And, you know, I got deleted, so I had to go back on there and rebuild everything, And but I was limited after that. They they found out that they didn't want to be creating conservative celebrities. I don't know what the hell it was, but they limited everybody to 5,000 friends, which is where I'm at right now. And then you do have followers, so that's something. But anyway, this Republican tax reform bill will include repeal of Obamacare's individual mandate requiring most Americans to have some form of health insurance. That'll be gone if they can make this thing go. So the decision means that Republicans yet again in 2017 will attempt to gut a key element of the Affordable Care Act. 
affordable. So far, such efforts have failed because not enough Republican senators have backed the idea of repealing the mandate, uh, which would lead to an estimated 13 million more people lacking health insurance. No, they would not be lacking it, okay? They would be denying it. They would be saying no to it. And remember, they came out today and said, this is a tax. Remember what the Supreme Court said? It's a tax, so it's legal. That was that was the basic ruling. Yeah, well, you know, this the the way that Obama is selling it is this is a tax. When he when he came out to the public, he said, "Oh, this isn't a tax. This isn't a tax. I don't call it that." And he swore up and down it wasn't a tax. And he remember he all of the promises that proved to be false. Save you twenty five hundred dollars a year, and you'll have better coverage, and you can keep your doctor. Remember all that, which was all bullshit. So anyway. Uh, yeah, so then when they went to the Supreme Court and fought over it, they thought that it was a tax. They fought for the premise that it was a tax so that they could pass it, and the Supreme Court would approve it. And so, of course, uh, uh, John, uh, what is it? Stevenson approved it. Uh, the, you know, the cowardly lion is what I called him at the time. He approved it, and everybody was flipping out. Even Kennedy was flipping out over that because they said he was crying when he made the decision. Uh, we know somebody got the goods on him. I mean, there's no doubt about that. You cry over a decision. And then he was everybody's hero on the left. He was the interbeltway darling, okay, after he screwed uh, so many uh, Americans. Uh, the government was, fi- was forcing us to buy something or else. And that's the IRS was the or, or else. So this is why, you know, Obama has politicized everything, every single government agency. <clears throat> and by the way, the border guards are really pissed off at Trump because he is leaving these Obama people at their post, and uh, they're making really dumbass decisions uh, that can affect the lives of these border agents out in the field. So now the border agents are crying foul. I believe Breitbart had this story last night. I've got it here in the show. But isn't that incredible? And they're they're not saying it, they're, they're not directly blaming Trump, but what they are saying is indirectly. Trump is making it so much harder because he's not moving these idiots that Obama had and they're out, and they're making decisions regionally that, like, they told them that when they were trying to get into a Philadelphia neighborhood to <clears throat> to uh, detain some illegal aliens, they told them that they had to take their vests off because it would be like, you know, it, w- it would irritate everybody there. You can't, don't go in with your vest because I know, we know you can get shot, but remember, your life's not important uh, because you're not a leader and you're not an elite, so you're just like a little worker bee, and your life's not important, so you don't need to wear that vest. And the reason is because in the in the dark of night when you're going in the raiding, maybe there's a few people there and they see you wearing your vest. You know, and they don't like the vest, and they they think that it's insulting because you think you might be shot because you're in their neighborhood, and it's it's creating sort of an aura. And the optics are really bad, so we don't want you wearing your vest. If you get killed, oh well, it's not important because what's important is the you know the politically correct, touchy feely sort of feeling that we're trying to promote out there in uh, in Obama land. Okay, well that's what they were saying. I'm not, I mean, that was basically the premise. And you're going, what the hell? And, yeah, that's what they, so anyway. God, the insanity. I mean, it just, oh, God. So anyway, we're, the, 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 what they're saying is this. We're optimistic, optimistic that inserting individual mandate repeal would be helpful. And, and you know, I'm looking at this going, oh, boy, man, this is weird. Uh, 
the Senate is actually following a, a Trump's template. So uh, we'll see, folks. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe they're getting the message. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting 2018, isn't it? And meanwhile, as, as I told you, uh, Ron Johnson, who opposed the plan, he, he is opposing the tax package because he is a rhino from hell. But here's the thing now. Uh, let's move on to more. And then, we'll, more, then we're going to talk about Sessions. And then we're going to get, get uh, Lee Daniel in here, and we're going to have a, a discussion about all of this in just a minute. But I did want to hit this now. Get this, because this is really wild. Steve Bannon and his allies have second thoughts about Roy Moore, sources say. Uh, Donald Trump's former chief strategist, Steve Bannon, is keeping the door open to ditching Roy Moore. And I'm going, whoa. And folks, by the way, now, Hannity did his ultimatum. Because one of the problems with Roy Moore's story, and I've been sort of in his corner uh, right up until, you know, uh, this thing about he signed the girls' uh, high school annual. Now, does that mean anything intrinsic? Well, no, but you've had at least five women come forward, maybe more, okay, and they're all saying essentially the same thing. And, yes, this is way in the guy's past. It was when he was a Democrat, and the age difference between a 32-year-old and a 16-year-old is far less than between Clinton and uh, Monica Lewinsky, which was 27 years. You're looking at 14 years versus 27 years, okay? But the only problem is she was underage, and so Roy Moore is being hit with, uh, you know, uh, allegation after allegation after allegation. He says, I mean, it, it, folks, it could be. It all could be fake. That is a strong possibility. But, you know, once you get like five or six of these piling up, and, you know, not, it, when it, when they did this or when they tried to do this to Trump, remember the New York Times ran that back during the campaign? And, well, guess what? I mean, all of the women came forward and said, that's bullshit. He never did that. He was great. He was a, he was a gentleman, you know. They all came forward and, and defended Trump. Well, that's not happening here, and quite the opposite. I mean, they're they're dragging in these uh, ambulance chasers like Gloria Allred and some of these others, um, that be kind of joke attorneys, but, you know, they, they love the, uh, the whatever you want to call it, the public persona. I don't know. So, uh, anyway, so sexual se- uh, uh, assault allegations. Uh, Bannon's looking at this. Now, the Trump confident and Breitbart chairman, Bannon, has stood behind Moore, as I have, who is now accused of a of the attempted rape of a 16-year-old girl. Bannon has also reeled against what he and his allies dubbed fake news and the GOP establishment for trying to push more out of the race. Now, one of the theories is this is all McConnell's doing. I don't know. Very possible. Because he let forth an ultimatum. You know, McConnell and, and, and Bannon are in a war. So anyway, this is just another desperate attempt by Mitch McConnell to keep power, and it's not going to work, Bannon said on Monday's episode of Breitbart News Daily. He says, you know, people in Alabama see through this, the good folks, and, you know, a lot of them still are. I just saw a poll where the Democrat in that particular case was up 16, but there's way more to this story. He says, this is orchestrated hit from the Uniparty. That would be the globalists that have, uh, you know, that sort of live inside of both parties. These are the lockstep men, uh, what do we call them, kabuki theater actors, right? But over the past few days, Bannon has begun privately taking the temperature of those in his inner circle to see what they think of the more allegations and to get their sense of how to proceed. According to four knowledgeable sources, Bannon is like most of us. Even Rush yesterday said, Ben, folks, this is piling up too much. Hannity did his ultimatum and said, Moore, you've got to explain yourself better because you signed this girl's manual proving that you knew her before this alleged 
whatever, sexual assault or whatever you want to call it, took place. The story is very weird. I'm not going to get into the details, but, you know, it involves, you know, everybody taking off everything but their undergarments and doing some touchy-feely stuff, something like that. So, um, I mean, anyway, I mean, a 32-year-old with a 16, come on. That's what we call jailbait. Remember that, jailbait? If he determines that Moore was lying to him about the numerous accusations, a, a source close to Bannon said uh, he will uh, put Roy Moore in a grave himself, Bannon says. He emphasized to both friends and colleagues that he is not, uh, that he's uncomfortable with the charges of sexual harassment and child molestation that had been leveled at Moore, but he wasn't convinced that the initial flood of on-record testimony, starting with the first Washington Post story last week, was anything more than a hit job. And then, folks, it still could be that. But, you know, I mean, that's, a, that's a five women. And um, they're pretty, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. And, and I asked my wife last night, because I always get a, you know, get a feel from it. Why did you think, now what do you think about this? She says, I don't know. I don't know. But with a negative, sort of, this doesn't look good. I'm like, that's kind of what I was thinking. So several of Bannon's most trusted allies have already told him that it would be insane to believe at this point that the more accusations are baseless, which, you know, that's, uh, I hate to say it, but I have to agree with that at this point. And this is the thing. I mean, you know, you, you're starting to see it. It's, it's going to turn against him. I think the elections is on 12-6. So it could very well turn against him by that time. And they just had a poll that was, you know, Democrat, the, the Democrat running against him is up 12. So this is where it gets fascinating, though. Okay. Um, I'm going to back out of this particular story and take you into the next one. And that is... Uh, this thing about the U.S. Attorney General opening the door, okay, opening the door uh, to the Uranium One dealings. Now, he came out uh, in response to a letter written more like three months ago. This was at Fox. Attorney General Jeff Sessions has directed senior federal prosecutors to evaluate certain issues requested by congressional Republicans involving the sale of Uranium One and alleged unlawful dealings related to the Clinton Foundation, leaving the door open for an appointment of another special counsel. In a letter first obtained by Fox News, the Justice Department responded July 27 and September 26 request from House Judiciary Committee Chairman and other committee members who called for the appointment of a special counsel. Letter comes on the eve of Sessions' testimony before the same committee. The Attorney General has directed senior federal prosecutors. A lot of people were questioning this, by the way. What does that mean? I mean, the, the same federal prosecutors who were the ones covering this crap up back in the 2009, would that be the same ones a lot of people are saying? Okay, and they're, they're, they're right, okay? Look, folks, let me just, and this is what I've tried to explain to everybody around me, but he's so nice. Sessions is such a nice man. Yes, he is very nice. That is immaterial to all of this. Look, let's go all the way back. Now, once again, I'm going to make this point, and you will not be able to gainsay it. That means you will not be able to challenge it, because it's true. At no point at any time during Holder or Loretta Lynch, despite all the misadventures that they went through during the eight years of the Obama regime, was even one special prosecutor accounted. Not one was appointed. Not a special counsel, not a special prosecutor. Folks, zero. Zero. For eight years, during Fast and Furious and all of the, the, the AP bugging, okay, the, uh, what was it, the Loretta, uh, uh, the, the IRS bitch is the best way to put it, 
uh, the, and, and she, remember, she pleaded the fifth. I'm forgetting her name. I always do this. But uh, I could come up with it immediately if I wasn't on the radio. So, but, but none of those things produced any special prosecutor. So sudden sessions, even before he's had a chance to do anything, he recuses himself, and that leaves the, the Trump administration wide open to all sorts of misadventures by the left-wingers, by the globalists, who are coming out and trying to get him for anything that they can. And you know as well as I do, this has created a cloud over the administration from day one. And this is only because, and this is why Trump was so pissed off at Sessions, when he recused himself from Russia and when he appointed a special uh, counsel, he, he basically castrated himself. Okay? And he left the administration. What a, it was almost, folks, it's almost like a traitorous move. He did not need to do that. And this tells you, uh, out of, I mean, it is probably, honestly, of all, and I remember my reaction even then, one of the stupidest damn things in politics that I have ever seen, based on the, the baseless thing about the, uh, the baseless Trump dossier, they knew it was bullshit. Everybody knew it was, and they wouldn't even run the story. Hell, they had it for six months. Finally, McCain gets it, and he gives it to the guy running uh, uh, for president under the establishment protocol, whatever that is. Uh, you know, the uh, – um, what is his name? Um, anyway. Uh, God, what is his name? Anyway, okay, I'm not going to go into all that. But – you know, the the whole thing just reeks, and Sessions made the mistake of his career right there. And ever since that time, as you well know, he has been fighting, 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 fighting. And then, you know, he gets up in front of the commission yesterday, and he can't recall. He can't recall. I can't recall. I can't re So, you know, he didn't have any aides with him to help him out, which is dumb. That's just dumb. Had his wife sitting with him, which was highly unusual for these sort of things. Uh, sitting behind his uh, his his right shoulder, that would be to your left if you go and look at it. And then guess what? He not only had Democrats attacking him, he had the conservative caucus all over him, and for good reason. So I'm going to let you hear some of this, and then we got we got to move on. Uh, but these are really fascinating uh, eventualities that we're getting into. Okay. Here you go. Yeah. Listen to this. Why is that? It's just, I'm just asking if someone... Now, this is Jim Jordan questioning him about this Uranium One thing, okay? Let me see if i got my volume jacked up here. Yeah, it's about as loud. Okay, so here you go. I'm able to uh, reveal uh, internal investigatory uh, matters you know. here that's under the investigation of anybody, but particularly, I think, the... This happened uh, in the summer of 2016. We know the Clinton campaign, the Democrat National Committee, paid through a law firm, Fusion GPS, to produce the dossier. We know the author was Christopher Steele. It's been reported that he was on the payroll of the FBI. I'm just wanting to know if, in fact, that is the case. I'm not able to provide an answer to you. Did the FBI present the dossier to the FISA court? I'm not able to answer that. Do you know if the FBI did the established process, protocol in evaluating claims made in the dossier? I'm not able to answer that. On January 6th, then FBI Director James Comey briefed President-elect Trump up in New York about the dossier. Shortly thereafter, that 
fact that that meeting took place and the subject of the meeting was the dossier was leaked to CNN. Do you know who leaked that information? I did not. Are you investigating who leaked that information? That would be a matter within the investigatory uh, powers of the special counsel. You've you got Department a number of, of investigations justice. going on, Mr. Attorney General, regarding leaks. Is that likely one of those that you're investigating? I'm not able to reveal the existence of investigations or not. Mr. Attorney General, I, I, I appreciate your service in the Senate. I appreciate your service at the Justice Department. Uh, consider your friend. Um, and frankly, I appreciate yesterday's letter saying you were considering um, appointing a special counsel that you sent to us. But my concern is we sent you a letter three and a half months ago asking for a second special counsel. And if you're now just considering, I, I, what's it going to take to get a special counsel? We know that we know that former FBI Director James Comey misled the American people in the summer of 2016 when he called the Clinton investigation a matter, obviously an investigation. We know FBI Director Comey was drafting an exoneration letter before the investigation was complete. We know Loretta Lynch, one day before the Benghazi report came out, five days before Secretary Clinton was scheduled to be interviewed by the FBI, met with former President Bill Clinton on a tarmac in Phoenix. Um, we know after that meeting, when she was corresponding with public relations people at the Justice Department, she was using the name Elizabeth Carlisle. You know, as I've said before, it seems to me if you're just talking golf and grandkids, you can probably use your real name. We know that Mr. Comey publicized the investigation, and we know he made the final decision on whether to prosecute or not. And then when he gets fired, he leaks a government document through a friend to the New York Times, and what was his goal? create momentum for a special counsel, and of course it can't just be any special counsel, it's got to be Bob Mueller, his best friend, his predecessor, his mentor. The same Bob Mueller who was involved, we've now learned in this whole investigation with the informant regarding uh, Russian businesses wanting to do business in the Iranian business here in the United States regarding the Iranian One deal. So I guess my main question is, what's it going to take, if all that, not to mention the dossier information, what's it going to take to actually get a special counsel? It would take a factual basis that meets the standards of the appointment of a special and is counsel. That, is that analysis going on right now? Well, it's in the uh, manual of the Department of Justice about what's required. We've only had two. The first one was the Waco, Janet Reno, uh, Senator Danforth, who took over that investigation as special counsel, and Mr. Mueller. Each of those are pretty uh, special factual situations. Let me ask it this and way. And we will use the proper standards, and that's what I, only thing I can tell you, Mr. Jordan. Well, I, I appreciate you can you have your it. idea, but sometimes we have to study what the facts are and to evaluate okay. whether it meets the standard well said. that requires well, let me if in a fact, special counsel. Well, we know one fact. We know the Clinton campaign, the Democrat National Committee, paid for, uh, through the law firm, paid for the dossier. We know that happened. And it sure looks like the FBI was paying the author of that document, and it sure looks like a major political party was working with the federal government to then turn an opposition research document, the equivalent of some National Enquirer story, into an intelligence document, take that to the FISA court so that they could then get a warrant to spy on Americans associated with President Trump's campaign. That's what it looks like. And I'm asking you, doesn't that warrant, in addition to all the things we know about James Comey in 2016, doesn't that warrant naming a second special counsel, as 20 members of this committee wrote you three and a half months ago, asking you to do. 
Well, Mr. Comey is no longer the director of the FBI. Thank goodness. We have an excellent man of integrity and ability in Chris Ray, and I think he's going to do an outstanding job, and I'm very happy he's about that. He's not here today, Mr. Attorney General. I'm asking for a special counsel. The time of the gentleman I would say looks like is not enough basis to appoint a special counsel. The time of the gentleman has expired. Chair recognize the gentleman from Georgia, Mr. Johnson, for five minutes. Hey, there you go, folks. Sorry that was long, but wasn't that fascinating. So, uh, folks, Sessions is in trouble, okay? As the Attorney General, he is in trouble, okay? So, uh, what does this mean? Well, uh, we're going to see, but I'm going to give you a hint right here. And this is where, um, and Lee Daniel is on the show, by the way. I'm sure he heard some of this. How you doing, Lee? But now, all right. The interesting thing is Mitch McConnell has publicly floated Jeff Sessions as a write-in alternative to Roy Moore. Now, this is where it gets fascinating. This was at the Washington Examiner. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell on Tuesday publicly floated the idea of, good Lord of the ads, of getting Attorney General to take his old Senate seat as Republicans seek alternatives to Judge Moore. So, see, this is going to be a nice little way to usher <laughs> to usher Sessions out of his uh, very poor performance as uh, DOJ uh, Attorney General and get him back into the Senate. Uh, and, you know, this is just a nice little, okay, I'll tell you what, let's just move you over here because you ain't doing a job. And we're going to get, like, maybe Trey Gowdy or, you know, somebody like that. There are several people... Uh, being floated for this uh, opportunity. Uh, so, I mean, it, and now McConnell did, he said in a statement, talked to Trump about this over the weekend. And as you know, Trump has not been happy. He loves, just like we all do, he loves Sessions. Uh, but it's just too much. He, he's not doing his job. He's not checking into any of these things. They're saying that there are 27 separate investigations going on right now uh, with regard to the leaking. But, folks, that's just, that's not even, that's a minor thing compared to a DOJ, a, a Attorney General, who is who, who seems to be on the side of, they're not even letting documents out of the State Department. That's another thing. Out of the DOJ or out of the State Department regarding a lot of these missing emails of Hillary Clinton. They're letting all of these things go. Uh, you know, she she broke at least what 18 statutes uh, during her time and during the the paper pay for play scam and all this stuff. So yeah, so so they're going to be looking at a way to for for Sessions to get back into the Senate, which is where they want him, which where really where he needs to be, I would say. And uh, <clears throat> and I think the people of Alabama would be more than happy to vote for him, even as a write-in. Remember, Murkowski, uh, the rhino senator from Alaska, got in in that manner. Uh, so, you know, um, that's what uh, I think is taking shape, and I think that Trump is going to be behind that, and that's so that, therefore, is what's going to happen. Uh, so, what do you, Lee, how you doing, man? Uh, what do you think so far about all of this crap? It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, but, you know... It's going to get worse, I believe, because yeah. the one, the people that 
are with the good old boys are not going to really change. They're going to act like it, and then they're going to pull up short of everything. Yeah. They'll keep and, doing uh, it and keep doing it and keep doing it Well, until yeah. there's a final. There's going to be a knockdown, drag-out fight about something before it's over. Well, and, you know, the Democrats did release, uh, uh, introduce five different articles of impeachment, which is kind of – this was done during the uh, Republican – uh, to near or during Obama, so it's not really that big of a deal. Nobody's going to take it. Nobody's going to do that. Uh, th- these are a bunch of nondescript, the, the usual suspects once again in the Democrat Party. It ain't going to happen. And I was saying, oh, some of these news organizations, oh, look, you know, somebody's introduced articles of whatever. Doesn't mean a damn thing because ain't nobody going to go for it. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, uh, and I'm going to play the Trey Gowdy thing, but I'm not sure we might have a caller here. Um, I see them pop in and out. Some people just want to listen, but let's just give them a sh- give them a shot, see if they want to talk. Caller uh, at uh, uh, that you're, you're on. Uh, how you doing tonight? Did you want to talk, or you just want to listen? Hello. Okay, I think they just want to listen, so I'm going to put them back on the listen mode. And uh, so anyway, uh, now. Before we move on, I wanted you to hear this. It wasn't just Jim Jordan, who we all love as a member of the conservative caucus. It was also, folks, Trey Gowdy. And you know whenever he goes after somebody, it's not pretty. So I want you to check this out. Take a listen to this. It's very important to me. I think it's important to... All people in this country have good conscience, um, irrespective of their political ideation, and that is the independence of the Department of Justice. And uh, in my judgment, 2016 and 2017 have been challenging years for the Department of Justice. Uh, you know, the decision to charge someone carries with it multiple layers of review. Um, there's, there's a grand jury, there's a pettit jury, there's a trial judge, there are post-trial motions, there's appellate courts, there are courts of habeas corpus, and then there's the media, and then there's, there's Congress. But the decision not to charge someone does not carry with it the same corresponding layers of review. Um, but in some instances, it's every bit as important to understand why law enforcement did not do something and why prosecutors did not do something. Um, I'm not interested in relitigating uh, the FBI's decision not to charge Secretary Clinton. That decision's been made. It's been explained, um, and I'm not interested in relitigating it. I am, however, interested in reviewing uh, 2016 and 2017 with respect to the Department of Justice. And, Mr. Attorney General, there was a time when my colleagues on the other side of the aisle were interested uh, in in having some of these questions answered as well. It wasn't a year ago that that some of my Democrat friends wanted Jim Comey investigated and prosecuted for a Hatch Act violation. That was 12 months ago. Um, and, and it was absurd then, and it's absurd now. But what's not absurd is, is when my Democrat colleagues ask, why did you decide to publicize one investigation but not another? Uh, why did you decide to appropriate a decision away from the Justice Department, which is very unusual for the head of the FBI to serve as both the investigator and the decision maker? Um, just like Republicans wanted to know – Mr. Comey, did you reach your conclusions before the end of the investigation? Did you make decisions whether to charge or not to charge before you interviewed 
all of the witnesses. Uh, these are questions that, to me, go to the core of whether or not the department can be respected um, separate and aside from politics. I mean, I, I, I get, I guess, that, that certain departments are just inherently political, but the Department of Justice should not be. Um, and, and so I, I, I tell you that up front, that, that Chairman Goodlatte uh, and I are going to be looking into the decisions made in 2016 and 2017. And, and I think I can speak for him, and I, I know I can speak for myself. My motivation is, is a love for that department and a love for the concept of blind justice that doesn't care whether it's an even-numbered year or an odd-numbered year. And to the extent that there were decisions made, including the decision to, to, to write a public letter in October of last year and, and follow that up with another public letter in November. Those are legitimate questions, and I hope that the department will cooperate both res with respect to making witnesses available, but also with, with respect to documents so Congress can better understand the decisions that were made and not made and, and restore some modicum of trust. Um, that all people, whether they agreed with the decisions or not, at least understand why they were made. Now, Mr. Conyers asked you whether or not it was appropriate for the president uh, to wait. Can I respond it's briefly sure. to that? Yes, um, you're familiar with uh, the uh, Inspector General, uh, with uh, and they make, uh, they make public uh, their investigations. And several of the matters that involve the FBI are in the full and intense review uh, by the Inspector General, and perhaps uh, they can, under their rules of disclosure, perhaps you can inquire more about how that's ongoing. But uh, I'm not able to give the details to you at this time. That's a, a serious matter. It's in my response to the chairman uh, of yesterday. Well, I, I didn't intend to ask you to respond to it because I, you're right. Mr. Horowitz is looking into it. In fact, I'm meeting with Mr. Horowitz this afternoon, um, not in that capacity, but in another. And you're right. At some point, he's going to let Congress know what he found, but that does not absolve us of our responsibility to also look into it. Mr. Conyers asked you whether or not it was appropriate for the president to weigh in in an ongoing investigation. And, of course, the answer to that is no. It is not appropriate. It's not appropriate in 2017. It wasn't appropriate when President Obama did it in the IRS targeting scandal. It wasn't appropriate when President Obama did it in the ongoing investigation into Hillary Clinton's server. It is never appropriate for a president to tell a Department of Justice what outcome it should reach. I just wish my friends on the other side had the same outrage when President Obama did it as they do now. I mean, I, I, I guess that's what I'm – this will be my last question to you. You're – you're nominated by a president. You're approved by a Senate, but yet you work for a virtue. You work for a blindfolded woman holding a set of scales, and that is what makes our culture different. How do you restore people's trust, Republicans and Democrats, confidence in a Department of Justice when it seems like different rules apply depending on who's in power? The time of the gentleman has expired. The Attorney General, be permitted to Well, it's a good question and an important question. We intend to do our work according to the established principles of the Department of Justice. We will not be infected by politics or bias. We will uh, make only decisions we believe are right and just, and we're not going to uh, use the Department to unlawfully advance a political agenda. We're going to uh, uh, 
enforce the laws of this country effectively as Congress has passed them. And I am determined that when uh, the years go by, that people will say this Department of Justice did not crumble. It stayed firm and true to the great principles that I was taught. Blah, blah, blah. Dude, you've already crumbled. Look at what you've done. I mean, really, yeah, they're not finding anything. But, you know, it's like the, the Trump administration is, is limping around on crutches because this idiot recused himself out of fear. And this is what kills me. He has to be so upright uh, and he has to be so above it all, right, that he basically, he compromised the entire Trump administration over what turned out to be a fake dossier crafted by the Democrat Party and then uh, given over to a paying FBI uh, who then used that to politically go after Obama's opposition uh, even uh, and, and the Democrats' opposition. Now, this is, this is how we're talking about the, politic the politicization of everything that Obama touched, okay? I mean, and it's almost like the balkanization of America. And, and even now, after Obama, not after Trump, it was before Obama ever even began to left, leave office. Go look at the Ferguson riots and all of that. Go look at the NFL now, okay? You see people trying to separate and, and, and balkanize the nation in order to take us down. This is a globalist precept, ladies and gentlemen. And the media is highly complicit. Go look. And, Lee, you can speak to this about Operation Mockingbird still in force. The Washington Post ties to the CIA. American journalism. This was back in 2014. A tip-off that the Washington Post refuses to face up to is a conflict of interest involving Jeff Bezos, who is now the sole owner of the powerful newspaper at the same time he remains as Amazon's CEO. Folks, Amazon has a $600 million deal with the CIA for cloud computing. Now, what does that mean? Well, that can, I mean, Lee Daniel, in this, um, you could, and there was another story, and I was trying to find it, <clears throat> where the CIA had multiple deals with multiple major media, U.S. media outlets, okay? And, uh, and, and this is one of the questions was uh, from one of our, our listeners. She says, you know, are, is the reporters, are they evil? Okay, I mean, is the, is the mainstream media, Lee Daniel, are they evil? Well, I mean, it's according to how, you know, you you term the word evil because what's good for somebody over here may look evil to somebody over there, okay? But by and large, I mean, evil is a, is a strong word, but when you look at what they are trying to do, and that is the, the, the mainstream media, Lee, has been a major part of the fraction the, the fracturing of american society as we know it they are pushing hardcore leftist precepts and these are all owned by about six still about six major globalist corporations okay and there was the story uh that came into congressional testimony a long time ago and people said oh that's a conspiracy theory no it's not operation mockingbird was a, an agenda to install thousands of reporters throughout the mainstream media who work for the CIA in order to shape the commentary. And we had numerous articles on this. I've been through, through this through, through many different venues. But the thing is this, the CFR, of which the Wall Street Journal is the Council of Foreign Relations, 
they are all about taking America down, ladies and gentlemen. They are all about uh, equalizing. Uh, you know what Obama talked about is equalizing everybody. I mean, getting everybody down to an equal status, and that way uh, you 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 would have equality all over the planet. And everybody would then have to get along because nobody would have an advantage over anybody else. The problem with that is, is most of these leaders, I don't know what kind of percentage you would put on it, Lee, but it has to be, per, per, you know, significant. Most of these world leaders are basically dictators, aren't they? They're either, they're left stream dictators, and then they're, look, dictators always come from the left. They never come from the right. Uh, and, and it's because they believe in, in maximum power to the government, okay, which is anathema to the right wing. I mean, limited government is our thing. That is our number one thing, uh, in addition to the, the charters of freedom, the Constitution, of which the government under Obama usurped on a repeated basis time after time after time. And Trump has towed the line on virtually every single precept of the U.S. Constitution, including the main Federalist precepts, federalism remaining, whenever you hear the word federalism, think states' rights. That's what it means, okay? A lot of people think it means, oh, you, you, federalism means going really big federal. No. Federalism remains more power to the states, in essence. It's the, it's the partitioning off of power to the states rather than to the federal government. Federal I don't know. I, I would have to look up the definition again. I've looked it up so many times, but it's kind of uh, it's very uh, gauzy in trying to understand the precept of it. But Lee, I mean, don't you see, or, or don't you see that what I am saying here about the the major corporations and how this plays into what is happening in the United States uh, at the behest of the deep state? Who are still in control, as you say, we've got a war going on. I called it Killing America back two, two or three years ago, one of the most popular articles I've ever written, but uh, laying out how we are in a battle against basically a, a, a bunch of oligarchs that sit within the deep state of our government who are paying off congressmen and senators in order to see their agenda meet fruition. And they have been in control of so much. Now we're trying to push them out of the way and get them out of control. And they are raging, aren't they? And they are a part, ladies and gentlemen, of this globalist and I often say antichrist movement. They are a. They are. They. This is the beginnings of what we're seeing, Lee Daniel. So, I mean, in all of this, what would be your? You. You, you know. You know where they've paid the media. The the CIA has, which CIA folks is like the front man for the deep state. And and you did hear uh, our show about probably seven or eight shows ago. Uh, I think his name was Jeff Shipman, a former top operative for the CIA, telling us that, in essence, the shadow government controls the deep state or vice versa. Okay? So, in other words, he drew a partition between the deep state and the shadow government, saying that they are two separate deep inside entities that are trying to control everything, and they're doing some pretty screwed up stuff. So, Lee, what would you say to all of this? That's a lot, I know, but what would be your, you know, your concluding summary before we move on? Well, for the last probably 25 years, I have been warning people about the very things that you're talking about. And all the way back in the early 80s, 
there was a movement to try to stop it because it was taking over. And even in the early, even as early as 80 and 81, key people in the government were beginning to become very, very upset that it was taking over. And the influence is kind of split into two, well, like you said, but I won't use the same terms. There are two influences. One is inside the United States. The other is global or even galactic, if you want to put it that way. Hmm, That's interesting. That part of it is the old money in the United States that thinks they ought to be totally in power, period, and sovereign omnipotent and untouchable to do as they damn please with anything or anybody and the law should not be able to either stop them or make them accountable, period. They'll police themselves and they're little demigods so who are you little man there to object to what I'm doing? And they are just that damned arrogant. I have stood toe-to-toe with, with a couple, and they are that arrogant. Who yeah, are yeah. you to reply to me is the whole position of them. Now, the others are a notch above them and even worse. They don't talk much. They don't reply much. They just immutably proceed their agenda without regard to any man anywhere for any reason, except a few of their own. I mean, if it, and I'll use a prime example, whatever the motivation is of operating North Korea, If it happens to involve a nuclear exchange that killed a quarter of a million people, uh, maybe uh, one of North Korea's submarines nuked Manhattan, you know, and it cost three million people there, and ultimately there was a recourse against Korea that, that cost five million over there. So what? So what? That's their only attitude. Because it was part of their agenda, no big deal. It's just a matter of accomplishment. It had to be done to get them from point A to point B. You saw this when you were working as an operative for the Department of State, correct? Oh, yeah. And, And ultimately, parts of that were why I didn't anymore, because the incoming administration told me flatly, that matter was off limits. And I said, fine, then so am I. And I left. And right. I was, I was, I, I've, I've told this story before that one of my longest investigations ended up taking out a minister of another country, their financial minister. And he happened to be part of the royal family. He happened to be part 
of the Illuminati family. And when it all broke loose, I was told by my own people to get the evidence package to them as fast as I could because for as long as I held it in my hand, my life was worthless. Get it out of my hands and get it to their people and get it to the military people because nobody wanted to touch it. And now let me stop you right there because I've often thought about this when I watch All of the times that Hillary Clinton has somehow managed to dodge incarceration, I mean, case after case after case after case after case, I mean, it just keeps going and going. And, you know, we've we've got the the body bag list, uh, you know, the, what do we call it, the Deadpool of Clinton, people associated with Clinton who, one way or another, have met a early Dimees or Demees, and... um, you know, I'm often wondered, Lee Daniel, if she is perhaps a member of the Illuminati, which makes her pretty much off limits. I mean, is that how this works, or is it like the upper echelon of, of this? And, and you know, folks, now there are some, listen, there, there are some listeners out there going, oh, Barry, the, the Illuminati doesn't this. Folks, I went to their website. I did a whole, almost a half a show on uh, the Illuminati website, and and I can even run you the commercial right now and let you hear it. It, it, it you know, it, there you it exists. Call them any, you, you could call them any name you want to. Yeah. It doesn't matter what name anybody calls them. It is an elite group of the trillionaires in the world that are in touch with the worst blackness there is, which is the Luciferian movement that has always been here since the beginning of of anything, beginning of the planet. And they don't have, they are not even the same species as us. They are not, they are like refined barbarians. That's about as good as you can describe them. With a ton of money. Nothing is sacred Nothing is honorable. Nothing. They they kill, destroy, and propound their way through life like uh, bulldozers in low gear with no driver, except for Satan. And they just proceed through or over anything in their way Oh, and that's and it's it. their they, way of life. Now, they're Luciferian, okay, which means that, that they're following an agenda set down thousands of years ago. And this right. has been the whole precept all along. Was uh, And the, the lie that they keep telling people is you'll be as gods, you'll be as immortal, which is the same lie that the Jehovah's Witnesses try to sell. It's but the same it's lie their gods. I mean, yeah, well, exactly. But it, it, people are misled into following them. And Lucifer, you know, you go into these secret societies, particularly the Freemasons, the Shriners, some of those, and uh, you know, all the Scottish rites, and uh, they—they all—it's all a Luciferian agenda. It's all a a means of moving people from believership into deism, into atheism, and then to Luciferianism. I mean, we've gone over this time and time again. This is what they do. Right. But it's uh, changed by degrees. And it is, and, and so in that vein, to answer uh, Faye's question, okay, that's, that was her name, I won't say her last name, but to answer her question, uh, th- those people who are in control of the deep state 
are the ones also controlling the media. Well, Barry, how can you say this? Well, here it is. After creation of the CIA in 1947, it enjoyed direct collaboration with many U.S. news organizations. But the agency faced a major challenge in 1977. Soon after leaving the Washington Post, famed Watergate reporter Carl Bernstein provided an extensive expose in Rolling Stone. Citing CIA documents, Bernstein wrote that during the previous 25 years, more than 400 American journalists were secretly carrying out assignments for the CIA. He added, The history of the CIA's involvement with the American press continues to be shrouded by an official policy of obfuscation and deception. Now notice that he said the history continues to be. He didn't say was. Okay? So, right. yeah, they're still in there, folks. And, uh, you know, this deal with Amazon could with the Washington Post. Well, look at who the Washington Post constantly goes after, folks. They're, they're an arch enemy of Trump's. Okay? I mean, probably worse than the New York Times. I mean, the Washington Post, as far as being a fake news purveyor, has far surpassed the near. I mean, I look at them now, and I'm going, well, actually, I have some a small amount of respect for the New York Times. I mean, they were the ones who helped break the story with Breitbart uh, editor Paul Schweitzer, I think it was Peter Schweitzer, about the Uranium One deal, folks. They did that. Okay, so there, there is some real news going on there, okay? But, folks, the Washington Post, there is no real news. And that's what, you know, I, I, now many of you may be wondering, well, what happened to Charles Krauthammer? And he's not the hero that he used to be, have you noticed, right? I mean, he, he is not the hero that he used to be, and, and uh, it's, it's not rocket science. You just look at who pays the man, okay? And he's always on the opposite side of Trump, no matter what. Well, it, you know, it's pretty damn obvious he gets paid by the Washington Post, and, and that's what, folks, you've got to look at that. I mean, they, they, you know, they're, they're going to be – sometimes he pushes the line, I'm sure, because he is their designated quasi-conservative. Okay, and I'm not – no, I'm not calling him a conservative because he, I just don't see him as one. He is a quasi-establishment Republican. And uh, now I, I will say I respect him greatly. He just had an operation. All right, and there were complications for those who don't know. A lot of people don't know this story. I just stumbled across it. I was like, well, gee, I wonder what happened to Krauthammer. So, but, but no, Krauthammer, okay, had an operation, as, and, you know, he is paralyzed, right? You, you know that. He's from, I think it's from his waist down, uh, from a diving accident. I had one of those. Uh, I was one of the lucky ones, but he wasn't. And uh, he was paralyzed from the waist down, and that was ever since he was a very young man. Okay, a lot of people don't get that story, but anyway. So he, he's trying to get back, and I don't know where this is going, okay? I don't know what's going on with Krauthammer. Uh, but he is not the hero that he was five years ago. I mean, most people can barely stand to listen to the man, much like George Will. George, Boy, they showed their colors, Lee Daniel. It's just as you, just as you said, when the four horsemen rode... I am convinced that he, I mean, looking at Hollywood and looking at what's going on across the planet with all the sexual crap and all of the pedophilia and all of the, uh, you know, homosexual, whatever you want to look at, transgenderism, whatever, uh, it's exactly. like people, people are being, you know, and I heard another instance of it today and I was like, dang, man, what is going on here? And I can't remember. It's been so much. I can't, but they're getting you, locked into their positions and exposed, and you were dead on with that, Lee. I have never forgotten this, and you know it because 
I recognized it. Uh, and so, Lee, now before you start in, i got to say, we're getting ready to go out of the second hour and into the third hour. You may well. lose us. Please come back because we got some really hardcore stuff we need to get through. Uh, uh, so you just come back in about an hour if we blank out on you, and uh, we'll be back up and running. You can pick us up at Blog Talk. You can pick us up on Switcher now. I'm sorry, Stitcher. Uh, look at look up CR Live on Stitcher. That's a wonderful venue. Uh, and you can go to iTunes as well. That the show will be up there uh, in about an hour. Okay, but we've got some heavy duty S files stuff to go over here in just a minute. So go ahead, Lee, with what you're going to say, and then I'm going to finish off this story about the the CIA's involvement in the mainstream media. That answers the question about the evil. Yes, there is evil in our media, owned by six globalist corporations, each of which is in cahoots with the U.S. government's deep state. I mean, it's just incredible, but it's true. Now, go ahead, Lee. Well, I hope somebody is finally going, somebody meaning a few hundred million people that may be left uh, wanting to know, that's probably the only. That's probably about the only amount left on the whole planet that wants to know. The rest would love for it to just probably go away. True. Absolutely. But my point. I hope they finally take a look at this and acknowledge that this crap has been going on for seventy years, and it does not matter what party, whose administration. Oh, what doesn't. election or anything else, they are just going to proceed this through any administration. And if somebody doesn't like it, it had already gone so far as to the fact that when somebody threat, even threatened to actually expose somebody by name or a key player, well, they just killed them. Yeah, and they exactly. did it in public. They did it in public, and they made it go away. Well, you, You're not you seeing saw a congressional investigation absolutely. about a blown-up Mercedes-Benz, are you? No, you are not. You're not seeing uh, anything about Seth Rich, which uh, anytime Sean Hannity mentions it, if you've ever noticed, ladies and gentlemen, they uh, media get his matters mouth shut. Yeah, media matters swings into action and starts trying to, you know. Uh, boycott his show. This is the latest was uh, the, the what is it the Cougar Cougar Coffee Maker or whatever. Uh, so this it just keeps happening and happening. You're not allowed to mention Seth Rich because that folks that's the keyhole right there. If they were to blow that wide open, I think you would see that Seth Rich was murdered by the deep state, which is in close cahoots with the Hillary Clinton machine. Okay, and that includes the Obama machine. Folks, so and there's and, and, far and, and, more, Barry. There's far more than that. Do you, yeah. Do you remember the story about Russian troops being stationed in the in the national federal I parks do. all across I the do. United States? I do. Because if we are teetering on on the edge of uh, of them being afraid, they might be seen and have an all-out violent rebellion against them. Mm-hmm. And they got that scared. They started putting joint Obama faithful and Russian troops into the federal park in case they had to bring on martial law 
all across the United States really quickly. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, we did run and the people, story. I think it, 1,400 yeah, it, people disappeared for seeing them doing it. 2014, we had a report of a uh, an ex. It was like an old uh, prison facility or, or some, somewhere up in Virginia, I believe it was, and the reporter couldn't get up in there into the compound to see what was going on. It was supposed to be a historical sort of thing. And we got it in CR somewhere. I'd have to go dig it out. But that was going on all across the U.S., man. And uh, and something – and, you know, then then you had the uh, the Virginia earthquake, which we were contacted by a member of the Air Force and studying, dude, that wasn't an earthquake. That was an underground nuclear explosion. And when we asked, well, okay, but why? And he said, Google, dumb. Okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty dumb about this because I don't know what the hell. So I Google dumb. And a whole world up and most Lee Daniel, most people don't know that what dumb means. But, folks, what it means is a deep underground military base. And apparently, and we still don't have the story, but as you know, if you're in Virginia and you throw a stick, you're going to hit a, either a military base above ground or below ground. Okay, that's the way it is, Virginia, and that's also the way it is in Colorado. Okay, Cheyenne Mountain and, and all that. And pretty much West Virginia. Yeah, true. So, so uh, what now? What the the iteration was in this particular story? So that you know, and that's the first time I ever felt an earthquake. It was here in North Carolina uh, when that nuclear. I think it was in 2012, but. And about that, similar to that time, but anyway, when the earthquake went off, there was another earthquake about five different fault lines away in Colorado, okay? And you're now you're going, and then we did the, uh, well, what do we call it? Uh, crap, but it's the, it's the timing, okay, between the, um, the, uh, the actual explosion hitting and, at the the measurement that you use, it escapes me because I'm doing the show. Uh, what what that's called, but there it, it's a pressure wave. And the thing about a pressure wave from an earthquake is, when it's a nuclear detonation, there is no pressure wave. Okay, it just suddenly happens. Whereas with any normal earthquake or any earthquake, I should say, you get those pressure waves first, and then you get the boom. Okay, the the big fault moving, uh, and then the 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 size of the displacement is represented, you know, by the magnitude of the earthquake. The bigger the magnitude, the higher it goes, 6.2. You know, you've heard, oh, it, mag- it registered 8.1 on the Richter scale. Well, but see, in this particular case in Virginia, there were none of these waves. And the same goes for the one in Colorado, interestingly enough. And then we find out they were fighting over nuclear weapons. And not long, either before or after that, you had uh, the the gay senator from South Carolina. What was his name, Lee Daniel? Um, the Gomer Pyle senator. Um, oh. Citizens, I, citizens oh. of Reyes, you know, that guy. I can't think of his name right offhand just because I'm doing the show. Neither but. Yeah, <laughs> why, do, why, can, why do I do this? But anyway, That's most boring. of you know who I'm talking about. He's a colonel in, in the uh, in the Air Force or the Army. Uh, he came out and talked about an admiral who dumped another nuclear weapon so that the Obama regime or somebody else couldn't get hold of it, uh, and it, it you know he they dumped, dumped the it around. Yeah, so. Um, that was another he story. The so in the process of Obama sending them overseas. That's it. Thank you. So uh, this is these are incredible stories, but they are true, folks. So 
Uh, and, you can, uh, you can build you. a nuclear device out of a, out of the radium in a watch, but the trigger yeah. is a big deal. Yeah, they call them Kryton triggers, and they're very, very yes. uh, precise. Extremely sophisticated. And remember, you know, the difference between a... A, uh, a nuclear device or an atomic weapon and a thermonuclear device is fission to fusion. And what happens in a thermonuclear device as opposed to just an atomic bomb like in Hiroshima, well, the, thermo- the thermonuclear yield is, is much bigger and much wider because it takes the fission. The fission device actually causes the thermonuclear device to go off, and that's what the Crichton switches are for, right, Lee? Uh, it's got to be timed perfectly, but when it happens, you get a fission-fusion reaction, and it's freaking mean. I mean, it's bad. Uh, we do have a lot more to go over. Uh, we've got the hijab Barbie. Uh, we've got uh, the swarm of quakes at the San Andreas Fault. Uh, 15,000 globalists uh, who are scientists, just happen to be, issue an apocalyptic warning. Boy, they're running scared right now. Uh, mysterious orb lights up Phoenix. Another looked like Project Blue Beam to me. Who knows? Loud boom shakes Alabama homes. It's getting weird, man. Black Death Plague. There's a chance it could hit us. Uh, the September the 27th deal. Uh, uh, and uh, then we've got biblical prophecy, Russia, Iran, Turkey, and uh, and all of that going on. And that's an alignment of the Bible uh, prophecy of, of what happens as we move towards uh, into the tribulation period. Remember, November the 23rd, or I'm sorry, September the 23rd, that alignment was supposedly the birthing of the tribulation period. Many people believe. Can we prove it? Well, hell no. But a lot of people believe it. Sorry my language. It's pretty rough, I know. Uh, but we're going to get into all that and sort of run through it uh, to give you an idea of where we may actually be in this prophetic timeline. So that we're one of the few shows that... that uh, uh, liberally mixes politics and uh, end-time prophecies. We got the template, man, so we can look and see what's happening. And it's holding together, isn't it, Lee? It holds together well, doesn't it? Yeah. So, um, so real then we got a, <laughs> yeah. We then we've got a report, a couple of reports. We're going to try to squeeze in here <clears throat> about understanding what's going on with Saudi Arabia and Iran and how that could be uh, where all of this is going. Oh yes. So uh, hang in there, and uh, we're going to be right back in just a few minutes. Hello. Welcome to Obama Golf. My name is Trina. How can I help you? Yes, hi. I received an email from Golfsmith stating that my Pro V1 golf ball order had been canceled, and I should go to your exchange to reorder it. So I tried the website, but it doesn't seem to be working, so I'm calling the 800 number. Yes, I'm sorry about the website. It should be fixed by the end of 2014, but I can help you. Thanks. I ordered some Pro V1 golf balls. Sir, Pro V1s do not meet our minimum standards. I will be happy to provide you with a choice of Pinnacle, Top Flight, or Callaway Blue. But I've played Pro V1 for years. The government has determined that Pro V1s are no longer acceptable, so we have instructed Titleists to stop making them. Top Flights are better, sir. I am sure you will love them. But I like the Pro V1. Wait, why are Top Flights better? That is all spelled out in the 2700-page Affordable Golf Ball Act passed by Congress. Well, how much are these Top Flights? It depends, sir. Do you want our bronze, silver, gold, or platinum package? Uh, what's the difference? 12, 24, 36, or 48 balls. Well, the silver package may be okay. How much is it? It depends, sir. What is your monthly income? What does that have to do with anything? I need that to determine your government 
government golf ball subsidy. Then I can determine how much your out-of-pocket cost will be. But if your income is below the poverty level, you might qualify for a subsidy. In that case, I can refer you to our ball aid department. Ball aid? Yes. Golf balls are a right. Everyone has a right to golf balls. So if you can't afford them, then the government will supply them free of charge. Who said they were a right? Congress passed it. The president signed it, and the Supreme Court found it constitutional. Whoa, whoa, wait. I don't remember seeing anything in the Constitution regarding golf balls as a right. There's no explicit mention of golf balls in the Constitution, but President Obama is a former constitutional scholar, and he believes it would have been included if the Constitution had not been drafted by a bunch of slave-owning white men. The Democrats in the Congress and the Supreme Court agree with the president that golf balls are now a right guaranteed by the Constitution. I don't believe this. It's the law of the land, sir. Now we anticipated most people would go for the silver package. So what is your monthly income, sir? Forget it. I'll just forego the balls this year. In that case, sir, I will still need your monthly income. Why? To determine what your non-participation cost would be. What? Wait, you can't charge me for not buying golf balls. It's the law of the land, sir. <laughs> Approved by the Supreme Court. It's forty nine fifty or one percent of your monthly income. Oh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll pay the forty nine fifty. Sir, it is the forty nine fifty or one percent of your monthly income, whichever is greater. Are you kidding me? What a ripoff. Actually, sir, it's a good deal. Next year it will be two percent. Uh, look, I'm gonna call my congressman to find out what's going on here. This is ridiculous. I'm not gonna pay it. Sorry to hear that, sir. That's why I had the NSA track this call and obtain the make and model of the cell phone you're using. Why does the NSA need to know what kind a cell phone I'm using. So they can get your GPS coordinates, sir. The hell is that? That would be the IRS, sir. Thanks for calling Obama Golf. Have a nice day. And God bless the land of the free and the home of the brave. Have questions about business insurance? Simply log on to www.carolinaindustrial.com. We make it our business to get to know yours. Running a business is a full-time job. So is protecting it. Auto Owners Insurance protects thousands of businesses just like yours. We'll assess your needs and eliminate your insurance problems so you can devote more time to what you do best, managing your business. See us for no-problem business protection through Auto Owners Insurance. Auto Owners, no-problem people. Call Carolina Industrial and Matthews, insuring businesses statewide for over 21 years. 704-845-2456. 704-845-2456. Auto owners, no problem people. Uh, if you're having trouble finding the show, just come to 
uh, conservatorefocus.com. Walk into the news section, and there we are. And uh, this show, that's where we are. This is where you can link up to Blog Talk and uh, some of the other venues. You can find us also on Stitcher. Uh, Download the Stitcher app from the website. It's on multiple pages. And that's one of the best venues you can use for listening. It downloads directly from Blog Talk. And it's a good way to listen. And hopefully, I haven't checked that, but hopefully our leadership is rising uh, as we move forward. We are up uh, for the month and the year still. A little bit of a a dive uh, from what I can tell. But, you know, the time of the year, you never know. We're still up. uh, Continue to grow. And uh, this show right here. Uh, could be one of the reasons why, because we're here, we're really hitting some pretty cool stuff tonight. But Lee, now um, I was looking at some of the things that we have going on. You do have this uh, the Islamization of America. They're still working on that, man. The uh, you know the uh, the they, they've introduced now a new line of hijab wearing barbies. You know the hijab is that's that uh, uh, thing that Muslim women wear. Uh, sort of in concert with the Quran. Now, uh, what they what Mattel is calling these uh, ladies—that's fine. They're calling them sheroes. Okay. Now, stop for a minute and think about what is a shero. Well, uh, in this particular case, if you wear a splendidly rendered fabric around your head to signify Islam, and if you just so also happen to medal in the Olympics while not sporting a penis, you could also be a shero. Okay. So now this hijab, which is what the Mattel Barbie comes with, I don't know if it's actually made like hair where you can't get it off. That wouldn't surprise me because this chick doesn't seem to have any hair from what I can see. Uh, but uh, this is what uh, the Muslim, a lot of these Muslim nations require women to wear them, even like American women going to like Saudi Arabia and some of these, uh, if they don't wear them, they'll throw them in jail or, you know, they'll look down on them. I don't know. But it's because of there are certain lines in the Muslim Quran, the holy book of theirs, or the, you know, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, the satanic verses, which speaks of angels <clears throat> who see women's hair causing desire to overcome these angels. And then they want to come down and mate with the women and create Nephilim. And that's what brought about Noah's Ark and the flood and all that stuff. So, but this is also to keep these... Uh, Neanderthal, apparently Muslim males, from being overtly attracted to the women who are out and about in public. Yeah, I mean, what you know, and they are raping. Uh, Sweden's opening up the door for them, apparently. And, you know, it's almost like the, the, they're the Grinches who are stealing Christmas in some of these European nations. I mean, it's sad, it's pathetic, and I, I really don't understand it. But globalists love to roll over for anything left-oriented or anti-Christianly. It's incredible. It is the Antichrist movement as we know it. And apparently it's all about the hair, from what I can see. You know, have you ever noticed that, how, you know, Islam seems to just adore or, you know, I don't know, they, they it finds this religion is just crazy about women's hair uh, and men's hair because they all look like goats, although the men do. They walk around, they just look like goats. And you know what, you know what male goats do? They pee on their beards and they stink. And that's why you can't let one near a, uh, a, a, a milk-giving uh, dough, okay, because it will ruin the taste of the milk. I kid you not, we used to raise goats on the farm when I was a youngster, and I was raised on a farm. Uh, so, but when it comes to the Mideast, this is what I've noticed. Now, Lee, this could explain why goats and sheep are often victims 
of sexual, sexual uh, male sexual predation, uh, and these you know these Muslim violators who are just overcome with the furry desire, uh, sparked by the you know the uh, the proliferation of hair follicles. I mean, that are all over the goats and the sheep and, you know, in certain places on women. I mean, they just, you know, it's like hirsute inflamed ardor, right? Uh, so it's just this attraction to hair follicles. It's very weird. But anyway. There's another uh, she, reason, too. Okay, go ahead. Let's hear it. <laughs> Demons classically do not have hair. Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. Hmm. Yeah. If you look up the actual picture that somebody got of the one in the actual exorcist episode, mm-hmm. they got a picture, kind of a picture of it. But the whole thing is they're humanoid shape most of the time, right. but they're devoid of hair or any real distinguishable, distinguishable uh, characteristics. And especially the familiar spirits. They're like, you know, they're they're like we've talked about before. They make themselves into different shapes, like shapeshifters. Right. But they don't come with they don't come with hair. Hmm. They come without yeah. hair, and it, evidently it's fascinating to them, because when you read the Old Testament, and some places it talks about the the fact that the angels looked upon the daughters of Noah, and they were fair. And there's another thing, I think it was in the Book of Enoch, that their hair was enticing to them. Yeah, you're right. It was. And that's one, one of the reasons you, they covered up their hair when they go in synagogue and things. Right. You're not, interesting. It's not supposed to be an enticement because it was so nice, you could even entice the angels by it. Interesting. Well, and that's why Muhammad uh, supposedly uh, transcribed this into his Quran. Uh, looking at that particular story, okay? But they sort of, you know, they took it to the nth degree, okay? And yeah. uh, I don't I don't know, but uh, anyway, a Shiro, uh, now this is Mattel creating the uh, the uh, hijab Barbie. Uh, a Shiro is what the Merriam-Webster, I had to look it up because I didn't know, then it, then it dawned on me, oh, okay, I see. Uh, it, it, in Merriam-Webster, it defines a female, it, it, basically just a female hero. Now, the interesting thing here is the fact that hero is not a word that has any male or attribute or sexuality. It's just hero could be a male or a female. But, you know, the way they see it, they need to, you know, sort of redefine it to mean female hero, which would automatically, therefore, then make hero, as we transgress through this, the male uh, archetype for a hero, I guess. So that's what a shiro is. And this particular chick who who was uh, meddled in the Olympics, who was Islamic, that made her a champion because not because she's a female who meddled in the Olympics. I mean, fencing. Uh, plenty of women have done that from the U.S., uh, but it's because she was Islamic, you see. And that's a you know that that's that's you know that's just special to the left, isn't it, Lee? I mean, the left loves Islam because they're considered as enemies of Christianity. And that makes sense, including the Jews, because they were sworn to, in the Koran, kill all the Jews and kill all the Christians, even though supposedly they say we worship the same God. Well, if we worship the same God, then why the hell do you want to kill us? I guess not, huh? Uh, yeah. So anyway, now, they they did have other shiros, right? Uh, down Don't leave through. out the Jesuit code. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's, that's true. Uh, but... Uh, there was one Shiro who was uh, considered a Shiro from by Mattel because she was overweight, photogenic, and famous. 
Then you had a black ballerina, a black actress also, who appeared in the movie Selma, which automatically, you know, makes you a shero, even if your acting wasn't very good. A black Olympian, I think that was Gabby Hayes, right? And she was she was a good Olympian. A sprightly seven-year-old who was a, some sort of fashion thingy. Uh, a young Chinese editor. And then two female singers. One of them uh, on Broadway, I think that's the uh, the actress, Broadway singer what's her name chenoweth something something chenoweth and then um and then uh now are you sitting down a a female country music star right white female country singer and this was trish yearwood i think it is so um now no word yet on whether we're gonna have a christian cross wearing barbie or perhaps even a jewish uh to fill in barbie you know the 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 the, 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 the jewish women who lee sort of um alluded to who wear the the fabric over their hair uh when they go into synagogue that's a that's a tuffelin barbie i think that's uh lee uh, there, there was a, a famous jewish female scholar who uh, actually created a tuffelin barbie for jewish girls but it was never produced by mattel and that is not a surprise here uh so anyway uh so this uh, olympic fencer her name is ibiti haj I guess that's the way you pronounce it, Muhammad, um, and it's a likeness of her, along with a hijab, and uh, she's thrilled to, she says, have inspired a Barbie in her likeness, and especially proud that the doll will be the first Barbie to wear a hijab, and, you know, we're just, uh, I wonder if they uh, give them, like, you know, uh, a, a razor just to cut the testicles off men uh, while fencing, I don't know. But this is a childhood dream come true, because you know they don't like me. The doll is part of the Shiro line, and they are so excited to honor Ibichaj Muhammad, or whatever her name is. And I just thought, you know, it was to me it was kind of insulting, because clearly the differentiation between her and other women are the fact that she, were, she is Islam. And, you know, I, I saw a few statements when I posted up this article before they banned me for another seven days or however long it is, uh, that one chick um, said, well, how dare you? I mean, Islamic girls need, uh, you know, uh, what do they call role models, too. And I'm like, are you entirely missing the point? There are no Christian, you know, the whole point of this whole entire thing, Lee, obviously, was to promote Islam, wasn't it? And, and a woman who follows it willingly. But the thing is, is it is in, it is in um, submission to what what men want because they cannot in this particular case uh, control their urges in muslim nations okay i mean that's just basically it and it, it is a form of um submission by women which is what islam requires i mean women are not women they're not individuals they're not um free spirits they are property uh uh and, and uh you know they they have lesser yeah. value and 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 in the Middle East world, than do men, and uh, you know it's part of the old, you know, it's like the Catholics. And did and I? Like, and you know, by the way, the the older Catholics also cover their head and stuff like that when they go to church. But right. just a little bit ago, I said they are like a different species, Barry. Yeah. yeah. And do you, have you not heard the term "dog in heat"? Yes. They don't have Holy Spirit that can assist them to control themselves. So Satan takes them and does what he pleases with them. Or 
their bestiality urges or whatever, they are subject to their urges. And I'm not making excuses for them. I'm just, it's a statement of fact. They just, they they go into rut, and that's the end of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't matter and if it was your women. neighbor's sheep. And yeah. it doesn't <laughs> matter if it's your neighbor's yeah. sheep, by the way. I'll never, I'll never forget yeah. that army film I saw, these three guys doing a goat. or, or Yeah, it was a goat. And right. it, luckily it was in infrared. You've probably seen it. It's from a distance. So, you know, while it was yeah. disgusting, it wasn't like, you know, visually, you know, detailed disgusting, okay? But, I mean, you just sit there and you watch it with your mouth open, wide open, and you're going. And then it, the funny thing of it was, because you could see the outlines in the infrared, and, uh, you know, one of them's doing the goat, right? And it's just totally freaking disgusting while you're watching it. And then the other guy walks up, and you think, oh, this guy's going to stop him. No. He actually joins in. He, the other guy he moves getting away. He's line. Yeah, uh, it was a lineup with his poor little goat. And then, okay, then you see somebody from way off screen, and, and we think of this as being, oh, my God, it's such an abomination. I mean, you get caught doing that. I mean, you know, they might as well just string you up. And uh, the guy's creeping around in the background, and you're thinking, okay, yeah, this guy's going to stop this stuff. He's going to say, shame on you, and yeah, stop messing up that goat. Stop, stop sexually assaulting that goat. Uh, and no, he finally gets up there. I guess he gets up the nerve to to to, to, to go over there. And instead of seeing a confrontation, the other guy disengages, and here he goes. And you're going, oh, okay, that's it. And then you just kill the entire page, and you're going, okay, that's totally disgusting. It's what they do. I mean, it is it's just sick, and it is an abomination. You know, it's like the old joke about it's it's about it's like the old joke about farmers. If you see a pair of rubber boots around the barn, don't ask. Yeah, <laughs> just say. Just don't ask because sheep are sheep are terrified. If you put their back legs in rubber boots, then you can yeah. basically rip them to pieces, and they'll never move. And when it, when they farmers, old, some of the old farmers learned that. Well, that was the end of that. We have odd-looking sheep being born. TMI. Okay, yeah, TMI. All right. So, so then now, uh, in addition to all of these other things happening, there there was a swarm of quakes at San Andreas Fault. I told you about about the triumvirate of earthquakes which occurred. I think it was last week, and this was on the epicenter. Uh, and, and folks, as you know, it, when that one hits, that's it. I mean, that's if it's a big one, it's going to be, you know, not good for California. Uh, and they, boy, they've been hit with a lot of problems anyway, as we have all noticed. Uh, along with Houston, uh, Hillary Land, you know what I'm saying? A 4.6 magnitude earthquake rattled Monterey County on Monday. Felt more than 90 miles away. So this was similar. Uh, I think the Charlotte. What we felt from Virginia was like a 5.2. This was a 4.6, but probably because of the way the ground is there, they felt it uh, even at 4.6, a long way away, Uh, which probably means also, Lee, it was probably a shallow quake, wasn't it? Uh, At 11.31 a.m., 13 miles northeast of Gonzales near Salinas, and this quake was followed by nine smaller aftershocks with the largest measuring 2.8. Uh, no injuries or anything like that, but it occurred on the San Andreas Fault close to an area where the Calaveras Fault branches off, and that's not good, is it, Lee? I mean, the depth no, was about four not. miles. 
Four miles, what does that mean when it's that shallow? That means that it's on, uh, that some disturbance is happening very close to the, to the surface of the ground. Four miles is extremely close. Most quakes are more like, you know, 75 miles below. And it's something that is strong enough that close to the surface to cause a reaction in the plates. And, you know, that's the kind of earthquake that opens the ground up. Yeah. Other earthquakes just shake the ground. But surface earthquakes are the ones that just crack the whole thing open and things fall into it. Those are the ugly things you see in movies. Yeah. He said that one of the meteorologists there for the National Weather Service in Monterey said that it lasted about five seconds. It's a pretty long time for an earthquake. He said there was a little bump and then a rolling motion. He said one of his colleagues made him feel seasick. Now, when I was sitting in a truck at lunchtime when I felt the one that hit Virginia, and it was really weird because what I felt was my truck rocking back and forth. I was in a big Dodge Ram. And I could feel it, and I was going, what the hell? Because I thought it may be the wind. It felt similar to the wind if you're sitting in a car and the wind blows real hard. You'll feel your car rocking just a little bit. It was gentle rocking, but it was rocking. And I looked out, and there was no wind. I mean, it was a you know, it was nice day. It was pretty. Um, and uh, then I started looking for lines like, you know, the same earthquakes that were happening over in Japan at the time. And, you know, there were no – I didn't see any shaking necessarily, although – I wasn't looking in the direction of the light poles at the time, so that could have been happening, but um, very vaguely. But anyway, uh, this uh, then you've you know you've got these uh, these earthquakes happening. Everyone a major. I mean, 400 people died in Iran. Okay, and we're just wondering uh, it could you know there the, this is one of the signs indicated in the Bible, and in addition to that, you had uh, 15,000 scientists issue an apocalyptic warning. They signed a Warning to Humanity letter predicting imminent apocalypse. So now, if you were biblical in nature and you said something like this, they would be laughing at you, would they not? Uh, like, you know, you're going to be one of those people in the meteor uh, tale. But uh, these, uh, they call them, the, these are the globalists who are, you know, part of the uh, uh, New World Order agenda. Uh saying that it was an ominous vision of the grim fate awaiting planet Earth, uh, and it was it was an updating of an original warning from the Union of Concerned Scientists from 1992. And that was about the time, not long before, they were talking about global cooling, okay? So uh, at that point, but anyway, now, they talked about the ozone layer, which that, that's been debunked. That's because what they found out was there's always been a hole in the ozone layer at the poles, that's not anything new, and it varies. It gets bigger and smaller based on conditions. It has nothing to do with what was it, the you know, uh, prion. Nothing to do with that. It was just natural, and you know, we just came up with the capability to measure such such things back in the uh, early 80s with satellites. And uh, you know, so so they all of a sudden decided, well, gee, look at that. There's a hole there, and they didn't even know that holes were always there. So they just assumed that, gee. There's a hole there now, so it must be new. And then we had the whole ozone layer uh, BS, which came on the tail of uh, the global cooling, you know, uh, crisis that uh, slowly became the global warming crisis because they figured out after that 
Uh, and really, the, the 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 real fear is a an ice age, a mini ice age coming. They were talking about that hitting in 2020. Okay, so uh, all of these things happening, and and then you've got these scientists producing these letters, uh, and they're they're talking about the similar stuff: fresh water going away, uh, ocean dead zones. Uh, 300 million acres of forest lost, although we've added a lot more than we've taken away in the last decade. Global carbon emissions have shown continued significant increases after a great deal of tinkering from NASA and other actors. So that's BS. Human population has risen by 35%. Yes, they want to depopulate the planet. We know that. And they're using things like uh, strangely mutated black plague diseases to, to accomplish it. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just, uh, you know, same old crap, uh, different day, uh, signing a record warning saying, hey, we're running out of money, you need to fund us, basically, folks. That's what this is all about. And if you go back, if you go back to the finance minister, uh, the uh, the EMF, I mean, all of these uh, world globalist funds, the United Nations, some of their uh, higher-up members have already stated to us what the real deal was. It was to basically change the world's economic system into a form of totalitarian socialism, okay? And that puts the leaders more fully in charge of everything. That's what socialism does. Go look at Venezuela. Look at China. Look at what was Russia. Look at so many of these nations. They are in control of everything, and that's what they want. They want complete and total control. Who stands in the way of that? Well, that's us, America. Hey! So, you see, this is it's, it's none of this stuff... Once you figure out, once you listen very closely and follow the, the you know, the all of the, the various uh tentacles of this uh this octopus, uh and, and then you start looking at the Antichrist sort of uh influences on it and you can begin to see the real story. Uh they're just running out of funding, aren't they? <laughs> I mean it's pretty pretty obvious. And uh, you know they oh no you know we're running out of funding so this is this is an apocalypse yeah that makes sense so uh, then we've got some of these other stories now one of them Lee was this mysterious orb that lights up Phoenix okay and uh, the uh, actually the, the 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 media organization the week had this story talking about the strange light over Phoenix uh, and they said it was rather extraterrestrial. It was on the city cam around 8.30 p.m. local time Tuesday. And um, I've got the story there, so you can go look this up in Conservative Refocus News. Uh, But uh, there's this bright light that sort of lights up uh, the nighttime sky. And it's weird, Lee. It's interesting that a lot of this stuff happens around Phoenix and Tucson, uh, both places that that are not very far at all away from Area 51, is it? No, and, and well, there's a vortex outside Phoenix. I can't remember. It's Tempe, Arizona, where it is. I can't remember how far that is from Phoenix. But there's one of the big, big vortexes there, the legendary ones. And, you know, theoretically, that could be a coming and going point for dimensional travelers. And yeah, I mean, there has been an awful lot of UFO uh, traffic around the Phoenix area for the last 15 years. Yeah, there hasn't. I just I just watched it, and it, to me, it just looked like a meteor. Uh, you know, and I've seen a lot of these, 
But this is from the week, no less, and I'd have to look at it very closely to try to see if there's uh, any difference. Then you have the loud booms, you know, those booms that people keep talking about. They don't know what they're from. Some people think they're, you know, um, sonic booms. Some people say, no, that's impossible. So uh, some people think they could be booms from satellites, you know. Uh, I'm sorry, not satellites, but meteor meteors entering the atmosphere and slowing down. And, you know, when you come out of the speed of sound, you break the sound barrier there as well, don't you, Lee? So you get the, the boom there uh, coming well, out. Well, you and could also in. be doing that from coming from another dimension into ours. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, that's a possibility. That's what a lot of people believe. Now then, the, the Black Death Plague that decimated Europe in the 14th century has resurfaced, and it could be a population killer, folks. And what they're worried about is this thing making it to the United States the way it did in Madagascar. It is spreading out, um, and it's killed a lot of workers. And see, these people over in Africa, they have this really strange thing that they do. They call it the Dance with the Dead. And what they do is they take the corpse of the dead people, and they sort of dance, stand them up, and they move them around and dance with them, you know, handle them and all of that. And what they're doing, what a lot of people believe happened was somebody pulled a, a plague member out of the ground and started somebody long dead and then did that dance with them, and, you know, that could have caused a mutation. I don't think so. But that's some of the theories about how in the hell this thing resurfaced all of a sudden. And then transformed from a bubonic plague to a pneumonic plague, meaning it can be spread by the air. Well, that's the worst nightmare, isn't it, Lee? If it can be spread by the air, can you imagine yeah. Ebola being spread by... <laughs> I mean, so a lot of people are worried, folks, and, and now uh, they're talking about this thing going global, and <clears throat> one of the problems with it is the fact that it's... Uh, you know, there, there, there was a story they just put out, it could reach the U.S. and Europe and Britain, and Excuse me. In that particular story, um, the uh, is ravaged Madagascar. It's killed 143 people. It's infected another 2,000. And health officials are warning that it will get even worse before they get better. And have dubbed this the worst outbreak in 50 years. A similar outbreak in the Black Death killed off one third of Europe back in the 1400s, folks. And uh, the now, the same thing happened in 1919, just after the eclipse here in America, the full eclipse, uh, I think it was 19, or 1918, uh, where we had the full solar eclipse in America. We got hit with a Spanish flu that killed a vast, I mean, hundreds, I mean, millions of people. I think it was like 15% of the population here in the United States. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, I look at these things. I'm sorry. I can't help it. I got to say, mm, we had that. And look at all the things that have happened since the eclipse. Could this be something else? Now, this current well, outbreak is... Go ahead. There please. was also a huge a huge gamma ray burst about that same time, too, that fried all the te technology that they had been starting, like the uh, telegraph wires all across the United States and things like that about the same time. Yeah. In 1917 and, uh, the, or 18. Yeah, they, they're, now they're worried that... Uh, the disease will spread globally. They said we don't want a situation where it spreads so fast it gets out of control. Well, obviously they don't. But it, this is a medieval uh, yeah. plague. The, the problem is it's gone mnemonic, which means it can be spread by coughing and sneezing instead of just physical contact. And it's been going through this African nation uh, in East Africa since August. It can kill folks in 24 hours. 
So uh, the WHO, the, the World Health Organization, was forced to issue warnings for nine countries, and it says that uh, the plague has reached 73% of the county that it's in, and so it's more of a threat than previous outbreaks. Now, I haven't looked to see if the State Department has made anything, you know, the limitations. Now, one lady's uh, indicated uh, on one of our Facebook postings that uh, her, you know, biblical ministry had to pull out of uh, that area of Africa because of this plague. The outbreak is expected to continue until around April of next year. Lots of things can happen since then. And they say that it's much higher than in the past. But what's who is worried about is this thing spread. One plane flight could do it, couldn't it? It wouldn't take much. Um, and it is a yeah, deadly pathogen. Right. Is it? Go ahead. Well, there is, it can it can be transmitted by anybody, and I don't know that people would even know they had it until it, you know, no, it, manifests like the, the symptoms. So they could get on a plane and be infected with the stuff and not even know it yet. The biblical yeah, group could. Now, yeah, already they're saying that antibiotics aren't working. Uh, the dreaded Black Death Plague. Uh, let me get rid of this. Hang on. God damn it. That's so annoying. Uh, there we go. Okay, so um, at least 165 people have been killed as of this particular report. This is uh, one week later. And over 2,000 have been struck down, and uh, it's becoming antibiotic uh, resistant. And it's it's very rare, so it doesn't get exposed to antibiotics that often, right? Well, I'm still w- wondering how that, where did it come from? How did it surface? And how did it become mnemonic all of a sudden? I think that's very weird, folks. Might be a little bit of Rockefeller Center going on here. So uh, uh, they said it can be treated, but it has to be treated very early. It can kill in four hours, right? That's <laughs> 24 hours is is the outset. And it, once it gets to a certain point, it becomes untreatable. And, you know, the same thing because people were saying, oh, that's just bull. It's overreactionary and all this. But the thing is, is the Ebola did make it to the U.S. Multiple cases here, folks. And um, it would, you know, just the right aircraft would be all it would take with a pneumonic plague like this. And we could see death spiraling out of control. So this is something to be worried about, something to be concerned about. And, you know, once again, I, I mean, I'll check with the uh, State Department. I mean, we were all over the Ebola virus because it was getting into the United States and Europe meaningfully. And uh, the Obama regime wasn't doing a damn thing about it. So, but now this final story that we're going to hit, uh, we got about 15 minutes left, Lee. And uh, this thing, this tension is mounting between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And uh, the Israeli army has been put on high alert, and um, this is um, they're, they're talking about an Islamic Jihad retaliation uh, in addition to the anti-rocket systems being deployed. But this is, you know, once again, this is Hamas, which is supported by Iran, and they're afraid that Iran's going to start, uh, you know, pushing all of this. Uh, the Israeli military raises alert level on Monday, taking various measures in the wake of a new assessment that the Islamic Jihad will attempt a revenge attack. Now, and this, We're once again, is coming from there. Iran. Huh? Do what? Are we keeping you up? 
Yeah, I'm sorry. It's getting late, and it's been a very long day. So the assessment's recording is live. Well, at least I'm relaxed enough to do it over the radio with hundreds of people listening. When you start to hear me do that, you need to interrupt, right? Just say, hey, Barry, what's going on over there? Uh, but the assessments regarding Islamic Jihad involve a range of possibilities on the Gaza border and further beyond. I ran out of coffee, Lee. The organization okay. controls <laughs> dozens of grad-type Katusha rockets with a range of over 40 kilometers capable of hitting Ashdog and Beer and Shiva, Beer Shiva, a beer, and possibly even longer-range rockets. The group also still has operational capabilities. So anyway, I don't want to go all through that, but you know they're they're well, trying to ramp it up. Beer. Somebody's going to get mad. Yeah, exactly. Um, so their their jets are scrambled, and they're these are Saudi Arabia jets. They've already launched a ballistic missile, as you know, that they knocked down with uh, with a U.S. anti-ballistic uh, missile system uh, over Saudi Arabia. And so, you know, it's ramping up, folks. So, But the interesting thing within all of this is the Bible prophecy regarding uh, Russia, Iran, and its allies. They're saying that they will go to war and they will invade Israel. And this is in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, what, what is stated within that, and this is the alignment we keep talking about, God warned, he warns that Iran, Persia, that's what Iran used to be, with Russia, which is Magog, and a coalition of allies, which would include Turkey, which, yes, Turkey is there, Libya, oh, yeah, they're there, and Sudan, all Islamic, will go to war and will invade Israel. In Ezekiel 38:39, the Bible warns this coming war between Iran and Israel will take place sometime after Israel has been gathered into her land as a nation, and that took place a long time ago in 1948. Now, many believe that the generation that saw that happen will also see this happen, what's happening, what we're talking about right now, this prophetic war, which has not taken place yet. Now, the only time in history that Persia has ever gone to war against Israel was to help Israel throw off the yoke of the Byzantine Empire, and that was at about 614 A.D., okay? So this war will be unlike any other in history. It will unleash a series of irreversible events which will change the world forever. And God has set aside two whole chapters in the Bible to warn mankind of this coming war. But here's the interesting thing. This, this is the first time we've seen this exact alignment, Russia, Iran, and these particular allies uh, all moving into to sort of uh, uh, cohesion with one another, folks. And this is the fascinating thing. And we've watched this uh, this crazy Islamic dude, uh, Erdogan, Erdogan, what is it, Erdogan? Uh, Erdogan. Erdogan. Yeah, Erdogan, uh, as the Turkish president. This guy's a dictator, and he's an Islamic dictator. And so this makes it doubly spooky here uh, when you watch what's You know, they just aligned with Russia, so now they're getting friendly with Russia. Uh, and the Bible warns that the U.S. will not defend Israel, according to the Bible. Uh, I'm not sure. Now, this is somebody's opinion, okay? So I'm not certain that I stand with this. But according to the Bible, Israel must stand alone with God when this takes place. It says that when this war does finally start, the United States will be unwilling or unable to help Israel defend herself. Now, I don't know about that, okay, because there is that verse about the eagle that with broad wings that, that picks up the, uh, they, they called her, what was it, the a pregnant woman, I think, which was Israel at the time, right. and, and swooshes her off to safety. 
And many people believe that that is a sign of the U.S. and biblical prophecy. So it does happen but uh, that the U.S. defends. But, you know, that's something that somebody just sort of uh, stumbled across not too long they ago. They also need to read the rest of the prophecies, too, like right. Joel okay. and yeah. um, the other prophecies. It will... In the one prophecy that is the most accurate and the most elaboration on it, it will happen that before anything else enters to help Israel, that Israel will be three-quarters overrun. In the book of Zechariah, it talks about the fact that 144,000 of the, the priesthood will have already run to Jordan, to Petra in Jordan, yeah. And the majority of Israel will be overrun, and, you know, it goes into the women being, you know, uh, women being transgressed and all this. But the whole point right. is the whole country is ravaged, three-quarters of the country is ravaged and overrun before anything even happens to help them. And, yes, there is a prophecy that Jesus will... Uh, propagate a war a against the aggressor at that time that basically annihilates it and set up a new uh, government at that time, a, okay. a, quote, holy government. Well, now, there are two wars, though. But anyway, let, let me get into that. Yeah, so, well, then what, there's there's two more wars. Right. Okay. So, but what it says is is that maybe because it happens so quickly, the United States doesn't have a chance to defend Israel. But even though the Bible exactly. warns the invading armies will be ultimately destroyed by God, it will be a devastating war for Israel and the whole world. Bible scholars are divided as to whether it is part of the prophetic battle of Armageddon or will just precede Armageddon. Uh, most, I think, think it will precede it. I think you do too, Lee. Uh, in order to prepare yes. a path for the Antichrist. Now, the Antichrist is already yes. here. That's the globalist movement, but it will be the leader of this globalist movement that is taking place right now. And this coming world leader will enforce a peace plan, a covenant with Israel, uh, which will trigger the final prophetic seven-year period of time, which God has set aside for Israel and the world, which is sometimes called the apocalypse. Now, because, you know, that there is a possibility that somehow... You know, uh, Trump uh, manages to to find peace between Israel and uh, you know the the, uh, the the Philistines living in Palestine. Okay, and um, now if that would happen, Lee, could dare we say? I mean, would that be it, or not necessarily? If that if that should happen, I mean, what do you think about that? Because a lot of people are looking at it. Well, there when they talk about peace being brought, they're talking about all the Arab and all of Israel, all the Arab countries, all of Israel, every everything in the Middle East saying, we will bow down, so to speak, to this leader and make peace and we will obey whatever he says. It's not, no, no, you're not talking about Trump coming in there and yeah. saying, okay, everybody stop shooting. I'm yeah, going to okay. kick the crap out of you. All right, so that's good to hear. <laughs> so anyway, all mankind should be sitting on the edge of their seats with white knuckles watching, and that's true, watching this prophecy slowly start to unfold. While those who call themselves Christians, followers of both uh, Jews and Gentiles of Jesus, 
they're they're told to examine themselves in the world and and stay in the faith. And Jesus warns all to watch therefore and pray. And uh, anyway, you can you can come and catch this story. But the main thing is that they they're talking about this alignment. And uh, there was one other section uh, in 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 conjunction with this that I noticed, and this was the the alignment of the nations in prophecy. And uh, both Daniel and Ezekiel described worldwide events that would lead to this final conflict. Uh, but but here's the, the Saudi Arabia folks is 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 in a conflict with Iran directly for the first time in a I don't know how long maybe maybe for the first time ever Lee I mean they've always been at odds but uh you know exactly it, because they're it, two it, different types yeah Shia and Sunni but never quite like this and then they 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 bring in this particular uh, article looks at what the bible describes as a king of the south and a king of the north uh, alliance in the last days, and then they're they're referencing Daniel eleven forty and forty five, and at the time of the end, shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries right. and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab, and the children and the chief of the children of Ammon. Um, if you know who those are, just chime in. He shall stretch forth his hand also Jordan. upon the. Okay. Uh, also Jordan upon will the country. Okay. And the land of Egypt shall not escape, but he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and of all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the holy mountain. Yet, she, yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. Now, when the Bible describes this geography like this, north and south, it does so upon the land of Israel being at its center. The people of Israel are his chosen people. And a lot of people believe the king of the north is Russia and the king of the south is America. I don't necessarily follow that. Lee, what would you say yeah. to that? Yeah. I don't agree with that either. The The king of the north might be the Russian uh, orientation like the Kazarian, you know, that the we've talked about yeah. before, the well, barbarian now, this, this, type. Yeah, but the this, king this of the is, south is more like uh, the... Uh, like the king, like the queen of the south, the demonic element of Africa and Beelzebub. That, right, that well, element. Yeah, what it's saying here is that they reveal the king of the north to be Russia and the EU. That's an interesting alignment. While the king of the south it challenges the north's invasion of Israel and Egypt to be Tarshish with all the young lions. Uh, now, Tarshish, what does that mean? But. Um, Let's see, the EU, Russia, and Catholicism. Uh, let me see, the king of the north and is revealed as Magog. And uh, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with a the shield and helmet. Gomer and Targame in the uttermost of the north. And, uh, the, and so the king of the north, and I still haven't found the king of the south yet. Uh, Gog signifies a roof, and they're in relation to one of the top or powerful. So, uh, not sure. <laughs> anyway. We're trying to finish this next week. Ethiopia and, and Sudan and all that too, and they yeah. have a you know a king of that region, a demonic king of that region, 
that has always reigned over. And he will move up. Yeah, we'll have to see. We'll we'll dig into this next week a little bit more. But anyway, lots of stories tonight to try to get here. God bless you. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week at 7. Lots of information. And, of course, you can come to conservativefocus.com, read the latest news, etc. Uh, I'll try to ramp it up if I can get Facebook off my back. So God bless you all. Thank you, Lee Daniel. What a job as always. Appreciate you listening. It's very secret. We'll be back next week at 7. And, of course, you can listen to any of these shows at any time once we publish. So take care. God bless you. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. We'll be back next Wednesday night. Take care. God bless you.